just jumping in really quickly at the start of today's episode to tell you about some upcoming opportunities to see us live in the flesh. And you can see us live at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival 2024. We are doing three live podcasts on Sundays at 3.30 at Basement Comedy Club, April 7, 14 and 21. You can get tickets at dogoonpod.com. Matt, you're also doing some shows around the country. That's right. I'm doing shows with Saren Jaimana, who's been on the show before. We're going to be in Perth in January, Adelaide in February, Melbourne through the festival in April and then Brisbane after that. I'm also doing Who Knew It's in Perth and Adelaide. Uh, details for all that stuff at mattstewartcomedy.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hello and welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicke and here before me is Jess Perkins and Matt Stewart. Here I am before you. Hi, I'm also before you bowing down to my Lord, Lord and Savior. Oh, Thank well, you. I wasn't going to blaspheme like that. I was going to say my like more royalty Lord, not some sort of God. Yeah. Like a Lord and Duke. He is but a man. Oh, please. Butter man. Butter man. <laughs> <laughs> he was a butter boy. Now he's a butter man. We covered David Butter. Mm, can't get a grip on him. Real slippery <laughs> he's boy. He's so slippery. Go on, come here. Slippery little can't sucker. Can't get a handle on him. Slippery. <laughs> Remember that ad? Slippery little sucker. Grape. Yeah, it was yeah. a grape. <laughs> well, that wasn't an ad for grapes, was it? It was no, an, it was ad, an for ad for fruit like salad. Fruit salad. Yummy, yummy. SPC. And the kid was eating all of the... Slippery little sucker. Eating all of the fruit, but he couldn't pick up the grape because it's yeah. slippery. And he said, <laughs> slippery little sucker. Classic ad. That was a beauty. And I still think that every time I see grapes. Yep. Every time. Every time. And that kid is now. Dave Warnicky. Yes, here I am before you. Here Bow down. I am, Dave. <laughs> and I am the Lord. It is I, Dave. I'm so sorry. No, I'm not. Lord of butter. Yeah, you're the butter lord. Yeah, you slippery butter boy. Thank you. Thank you. Your butt's all buttery. Buttery butt. I've got a butter room, I've got a cheese room, oh. and you know what my third room's full of. Yes, go on. Porn mags. Porn mags? <laughs> yeah, Dave hasn't figured out that porn's on the internet. <laughs> hey, Dave. when you spent tens of thousands of dollars on porn mags, you double down. 
<laughs> yeah. But you once you've already flicked through a dirty mag, do you do you does it lose? Do the, you flick again? Yeah, does it lose well, it? Especially with Dave. How you say? How you say? Mm. Je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi. Thank you. Mm. Especially with his greasy fingers. Yeah, you know? my buttery fingers. Yeah. How do you flick through the pages of a porn mag? Very. Yeah. You Easily. could see right through them. It's like that episode of The Simpsons where Homer yeah. had a had a test. He'd only eat things if you rubbed it on paper. <laughs> the paper went see through. through. And that bird flies into the window. <laughs> oh, uh, good great times. times. <laughs> well, it's great to be here on the pod, and we're going to get going with my report very, very soon. But before we do that, we're going to quickly tell you that we've got uh, some shows coming up, some live ones in Melbourne for the Melbourne Comedy Festival for Saturday afternoons. Saturday afternoons, yeah. Which uh, we're looking forward to at the European Beer Cafe. Tickets selling well to that, which is very, very nice. Thank you very much. And also, just before that, in March, March 10, we're doing a show in Adelaide for the first ever time. Mm. Yes, that's right. Come see the Butter Boy. Come touch the Butter Boy. Yeah, Come touch him. Lick touch the Butter him. Boy. Lick the Butter Boy. Do not touch or <laughs> lick the Butter Boy. <laughs> yeah, I should say that. Um, only lick and touch the glass surrounding the Butter Boy. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Which are also made of butter. Yeah. And we'll be serving crumpets afterwards. Mm. Delicious butter boy butter. I like crumpets with honey on them. Oh, let it fill into those little holes. I do not like those holes. They are a little bit creepy. (laughs) Okay. You're a complicated (laughs) (laughs) That is my opinion on crumpets. Next. That is a hot take. Uh, So we are doing Adelaide. Please, uh, if you're in uh, town that weekend, please. Dave, love to see you. Can't tr- wait to get there. Get a photo outside the famous. What I'm blanking on the Rundle Mall balls. balls. <laughs> Leave it. I'm blanking on anything famous, Natalie. No, I was thinking the ball, the mall balls, but mm. I was blanking on R- R- Rundle. Sorry about that. Because you were thinking of Radelaide. Radelaide, uh, and the famous Benfold song, Adelaide. Beautiful song. Mm. To a beautiful city. Really is a beautiful city. Can't wait to get back there. I'm also doing stand-up shows. Uh, the show's called Bone Dry, directed by the great man and butter boy, Dave Warnicky. <laughs> There's going to be lots of butter elements. Ah, uh, butter boy. <laughs> Everyone gets a free sachet. Coming up very soon in Perth, uh, opening on the 12th of February, which is a, everyone knows, a month I can't say, but I had a bloody go at say it. Say Feb. Feb, that's right. 12th of Feb. Then I go to uh, Adelaide, Adelaide, uh, Brisbane, and then Melbourne for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, and you can find out details for all of that at mattstewartcomedy.com slash gigs. And if you use the discount code, do go on. I'm pretty sure that still works, <laughs> and it gives a very good discount. And it'd be so good to see you there. It'd be so nice. Also use the code BUTTER. Oh, Dave, you're going to have to send someone a message for that to <laughs> no, work. No, don't use the code BUTTER. It won't work. It'll charge you triple. Mm. Yeah. But you'll get zero tickets. Yeah. And I will let you touch Dave. Glass box. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now, on with the report. Now, I've written a report here. What we do here on the show is the three of us taking turns to do a report on a topic that the other two don't know what it's going to be. And it is my turn. Do you see how well he explained that? I don't know. It happened so quick. I didn't even hear it. Oh, I finally did it. Thank goodness. Well done, Dave. Well done, Dave. But you might get that. I took it off you for quite a while. Maybe you can have it back. Thank you. Why don't you never let me have a go? Jess, you, not, you have having... tried to grab it back a few times. Yeah. And, and every time why hasn't you, it start, stuck? you start out so I'm a butter well. Girl. <laughs> butter girl panics is what she does. No, I don't. I'm very Teflon good Jess. at it. Yeah, I'm Teflon. I'm cool and calm under pressure. I'm a cucumber. 
They're cool and calm under pressure. Yeah. They don't... Oh, God, I'm sweating. Okay, Dave, start the report. <laughs> now, researching another topic, I came across this story. Oh. So I'd, already, I'd chosen another topic and then this topic distracted me and I was like, all right. So I'm thinking I'm going to do the original topic as a part two next time. Oh, Ooh. shit, yeah, okay. Bit of a sizzle for in a couple of weeks' time. Love when, a part when two. When it's back to my report. Fun. So they're not fully connected, the stories, but there's just a little... Little, little something, something. Ships passing in the night, if you will. Ooh, Are sexy. Are you doing like the spirit of Tasmania? Yeah, what a ride. What and a ride. the spirit of New South Wales. <laughs> a ship I'm trying to build. <laughs> Pledge now to my to my possible campaign. There's two spirits of Tasmanias. Fuck. They pass in the night. Okay. I'm, what do you a, get your ship out of the bloody... What's what that got trying to, to do some with my a, business... Idea. Oh, I'm yes. an entrepreneur. <laughs> I love the sea. <laughs> well, you're going to love this topic. I was on a plane the other day, right? <laughs> I was just thinking about it. I don't like boats. I was on a plane and we were landing in Melbourne uh, late at night and for a moment, like I was on a window seat, brag, and there's a light that just came on outside, the, like a yellow light. It was quite a foggy night and I thought, the plane was on fire for a bit. No, no way. And I was looking around. There wasn't something on the wing, was there? I can't believe that's funny twice now. Wow. <laughs> Done the impossible. I was looking around and nobody else looked panicked and the flight attendants weren't standing up or anything. But I was like, that's flame light. And it was kind of flashing, like flickering. I thought the I thought the engine was on fire. Oh, my God. And, do you, did and we, then I was like. Were you going to tell anyone? Well, I was looking around and nobody like I don't think this it would. Does sound I, don't like... th- I think that that would be something that would set off an alarm. It wouldn't be up to the passenger to notify yeah. the pilot. You know, my thing is in a situation where it's turbulent, I watch the air stewards, yeah. and if they start freaking out, that's when I start freaking out. Yeah. If they look a bit worried, you think, oh, okay. Yeah. What I do is just keep watching the movie. Yeah. And assume it'll all be okay. Yeah. Annoyed, but I don't know. Have you ever been uh, distracted by music or something, not realizing you're landing? Oh, Suddenly yeah. the land appears and you're landing. I've had that before and I thought we were crash landing. Yeah. Because it's like, bang. Oh, my God, we're on the ground. What? What? Oh, oh that's the plan. This is controlled. Okay. Yeah, that okay. is scary. Sorry to bring that up, but I just. So you got to. Yeah, we get it. You've flown a plane before. Thank you. Anyway. Sorry, Dave. Now, before that bright light, you said, I love the ocean. I love the sea. You love the sea. We're going to love this topic. Let me just tell you that. <gasps> it's something to do with the sea. Uh, now, I've got a question to get us on topic. The question is, a real-life incident involving a ship called the Essex inspired which Herman Melville novel? Novel. Right. Herman Melville had I... many classic novels. Okay. Let's list them. Toot, right. toot. From number five to one. Toot, toot, chugga, chugga, big old submarine. Yeah, that was his. That was the fifth best, That's of course. That's the fifth best. Uh, number four What about was... Whaling with Greg? Yes, number four. Love that classic. Yep. Uh, that was actually three. a sequel, sequel to this one, so yep. that's good. Was Submarines. What's that about? <laughs> is there a, is there a, <laughs> a how to guy. Is there a colon after Submarines? There? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. All right, number two. Uh, We're building up to it. Oh, no. Look at that white whale. I want to get it, but I won't. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm into keeping things alive, that's baby. Really good. I mean, I, you can weird. see why that wasn't quite as big a seller as number one, which is, of course. Um, uh, Geraldine, Geraldine goes, goes to the to shops. The shops. <laughs> of course, that title. So you can't judge a book by its title, but you can that one. 
Found that one. Some of his best work. So yeah. that's what the reports are. Great. Yeah. Oh, well, right. tell us all about Geraldine and. Uh, I'd be interested. I know we've all read it, so yeah. we know the story. But I'm guessing you've uncovered some kind of interesting behind-the-scenes story about yeah. Geraldine goes to the shops. Of course, yes. I'm not going to explain the story. This isn't freaking book cheat or anything. Yeah. Yuck. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Nerd alert. <laughs> Thank God it's not that show. Boo. <laughs> That's the catchphrase of this show. Thank God it's not that show. Um, <laughs> of course, the book I'm talking about is... Moby Dick. Moby Dick. Oh, we were right. We were right all along. Well done, Moby Dick. The no. answer was with inside <laughs> Geraldine going to the shop yeah. so long. It was one of those dust jackets. It oh. was over the top of a different book. That's right. You Just... pull it off. Like I always do. Oh, yeah. you got to stop doing that. It's so annoying. <laughs> yeah. So a real-life incident involving a ship called the Essex inspired Herman Melville to write Moby Dick. And that is what we're going to talk about today. Can't wait. In the 1850s, American writer Herman Melville was already quite a well-known author with his earlier novel, Typee, becoming a bestseller. That was number six. Yeah, Typee. Type oh, that's why it wasn't in our list. I know. That was his biggest seller in his lifetime, sadly. Oh, yuck. It, he found it hard to match his early success throughout the rest of his life. I Do you reckon, because this happens a lot where people like Van Gogh, where they're <laughs> really, really, really popular and have all their fame after they're dead. Do you reckon that could be us? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm going to tell myself that that's the case. I mean, case. it's a great way to go, thinking, all right, well. Now people will enjoy what now I did. Care. Now they'll care. <laughs> My final words. I don't want to benefit from anything that I've done. All the hard work I've done and barely scraped by in life has all been worth it to be remembered. And, then always... you, and your relatives become exceedingly yeah. rich. Yeah, and then but... really spoilt. Yeah, and it ruins them. I like <laughs> We say this to each other all the time. I never want to be Van Gogh famous. We don't say, we that, say that, that all the time. Yeah. I messaged you just yesterday and yeah. I said, hey, Matt. Matthew, yeah, I never want to be Van Gogh famous. I yeah. said that, didn't you I? You did say that. Did, wasn't a, didn't a Dutch person tell us while we were in England that that's not how you pronounce it? Well, it's definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they told us how to say it, but like. You had to cut out your good tongue. Luck. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> they might, no, I think they might have sound like it was a lot more Hang simple anyway. Down. Let's not open that can of monkeys. That's not the same. That can of. Oh. <laughs> Please, don't make it all about monkeys, mate. This isn't frickin' primates over here. Yuck. Thank goodness it's not that show. <laughs> uh, in 1850... We'd be having too much fun. <laughs> so in 1852, at the age of 32, Melville published what would later become his most famous work, Moby Dick or The Whale. Call me Ishmael. That is the opening line. I know. That's all I know. <laughs> right, because it's told from the perspective of a man named Ishmael. Well, Which is the whale, right? A.K.A. Moby Dick. It's like a superhero thing is Moby Dick. Oh, it's like a it's like a Clark Kent. Yeah, when he puts on the whale undies. Costume. Yeah. <laughs> the whale undies. That's when he becomes Moby Dick. But before that, he's Ishmael. But people don't recognise him without the undies on. Yeah. It's like Clark Kent with the glasses. The glasses on, you're like, oh, I don't recognise that guy it's at all. It's just a man standing there in undies yeah. that have a whale on them. Yeah. How old is he? Can you get... A grown-up underwear with little animals on them? Oh, these are specially made. Oh, good, because I was asking because I want to get some. <laughs> whale, you can have them specially made. Whale, I can have them specially made? <laughs> yeah. Whale? Yeah, whale. Dave, please do go on. <laughs> a man of adventure in his 20s, Melville had worked as a sailor and joined a whale hunting ship for about 18 months before jumping the ship in French Polynesia. Dave. 
jumping the ship? Yes, he jumped the ship. Well done. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, French Polynesia, that's where he wrote uh, the first novel, Taipei, about his time in French Polynesia. It was during this time at sea that he became obsessed with a story that was folklore for all sailors in that part of the world. He read a memoir by a first mate by the name of Owen Chase. It was a nightmarish tale that had taken place about two decades earlier. All the sailors knew the story well and had desperately hoped to avoid living it themselves. Melville had been so inspired by the story that eventually he wrote Moby Dick. To celebrate the publication, Melville took a trip via a steamer to Nantucket, an island 30 miles off of Massachusetts and home port of Moby Dick's fictional protagonist, Captain Ahab, and his ship, the Pequod. The Pequod. The Pequod. How did I not know that it was called the Pequod? It's a great name, isn't the it? The Pequod. It's not a great name at all. What I is like that? It. What's a Pequod? Pequod. I'm sure it's got some. Is it four Ps? It might be some sort yeah. of Latin translation, I imagine. Hmm. Uh, well, I'm sure it's got deep symbolic meaning. Uh, whilst he was there in Nantucket, Melville had uh, made sure to meet a man named George Pollard Jr. Captain George Pollard Jr. Mm, he later wrote... I love a man in uniform. <laughs> you he, do. He refused yeah. to take it off <laughs> at all times. Oh. It, got, it got awkward when you, were, you went to war and you kept falling for the enemy. Oh, man. They were so dreamy. <laughs> uh, Melville later wrote that the two, quote, exchanged some words... What's that mean? Which hardly sounds exciting, but Melville was clearly impressed by the 60-year-old man he met. To the islanders, he was a nobody, Melville wrote. To me... He was everything. (laughs) Well, he said, the most impressive man, though wholly unassuming, even humble, that I ever encountered. End quote. His muse had not disappointed him, for it was Captain George Pollard Jr. who was at the centre of the harrowing story that was recounted by Owen Chase. The story that inspired Moby Dick. And this is that story. Oh, so this is the story that inspired Moby Dick. Yes, this is a real-life tale, the harrowing tale that I a said that you read. A whale tale? This is a whale of a tale. You can bet <laughs> your tale. <laughs> <laughs> So that was just a bit of preamble to set the scene. Dave, that preamble was captivating. It was fun. Thank you. It was so interesting. Much. I give it a five out of five. Thank you. Matt, I feedback? It, yeah, I'd say fantastic. Uh, couldn't eat another bite. Thank you. And out of five? Yeah, certainly would. Wow. Strong words. Well, George Pollard Jr., the captain I just spoke of, was born in Nantucket in 1791. So he was a man from Nantucket. He was. Huh. I was wondering who would be the first to say it, and Matt gets the gold star. Jess, where the hell were you? Wait, and we both bit our tongue for quite a while. You've yeah. mentioned it three or four times now. Every I, time I thought, here we go. Here I was just, the people at home are going, just say it, get I it out of the way. confident it was a made-up place. Yeah, I assumed it was Did too. not know it was an island. Same as Albuquerque. That's another made-up one, right? Albuquerque. Yeah, Bugs Bunny was always, ah, oh, should I turn left at Albuquerque? That's that's where the Springfield isotopes were going to move to on The Simpsons. Right. It's become the Albuquerque isotopes. Neil Patrick Harris is from Albuquerque. Really? He went to the same high school as friends of mine, and I have yet to message them and ask if they knew him. I mean, <laughs> that is fun. How did you discover that and not mention it? Because I, for some reason, got stuck in a YouTube vortex last night and I was watching 
a video of him and he was talking about what high school he went to. And I was like, that rings a bell because it's an interesting name of which I've forgotten and it's in Albuquerque. Right, but is he an older generation or your friends older than you are? My friends are older than I am and they're probably two years younger than him. So I think they could have known him. Wow. And he was also very famous at the time for Doogie Howser MD. So pretty sick, huh? That's super sick. Thank you. That was worth me interrupting the show for. Yes. Right. So Nantucket, 1791. That's where we are. During good, this time. Good, sorry, David. Good year. Thank you. 1791? Yeah, Get your head year. out of your butt. That was a terrible year. Huh. 1792. Sorry. Oh, mwah, magnifique. Coming back. A, a fantastic. 91. Vintage. Real piece of shit. Oh, sorry. Uh, during this time, the island's principal industry was hunting sperm whales to harvest. Yeah. <laughs> also, was wondering who was going to get that gold star, and there it is. Uh, to hum ha- whales, they were going to they uh, were hunted to harvest the oil contained in their blubber and the spermaceti or sperm oil contained in an organ found in their heads. The spermaceti, which is a white liquid, was originally mistook for the whale's semen, and that's why they are called sperm ah. whales. It's in their head. Fun fact. It's so in a, a large cavity in their head, and it's full of hundreds of litres of it. So that's why they hunt hundreds the whales. Hundreds of litres. Yeah. Sperm whale, that's a funny name. I would have called them a jism. <laughs> blah, blah. <laughs> a jism water. A uh, fun oh. fact. Sp- so it- sperm whales have the largest brains of any animal on earth. Really? Yeah. But it, they thought they carried their cum in their head. No, I think they probably just split it Sorry, open. Sorry, mum and dad. <laughs> I think they just probably just split it open and were like, oh, what's that white liquid? That must be, it's. Uh, I guess it's, you know, it's sperm. And then they later discovered that it was useful oil. At this time, the oil within the sperm wells was sought after for use in oil lamps, lubricants, candle soap, cosmetics, machine oil, paint, putty, pencils, crayons, and many, many more Holy things. Holy shit. It was highly sought after and extremely valuable. So basically at the time if you had an oil lamp, which is how most people lit their homes, you burnt whale oil. Wow. So it was really, really common product. Sperm whales also produced ambergris or ambergris, which at the time was also highly sought after by the perfume industry. This is produced in the digestive system and is usually passed as fecal matter. So people are spraying whale shit all over themselves. What? They do beautiful queefs. <laughs> beautiful, mm. beautiful queefs. Mm. Anyway, uh, whaling is a big deal. Wait, I don't understand what a queef is, do I? That's wrong end. No. You, you're right. All right. <laughs> no, you're all right. right. <laughs> you are not right. <laughs> anyway, whaling is a big deal at the time is what I'm trying to say. And Nantucket is the whaling capital of America during this era. Despite only 8,000 people living there, it was one of the wealthiest communities in the country, all because of the whale oil. Holy shit. Yeah. The whaling community and its 70 ships, 70 whaling ships, were run by rich whale tycoons of sorts, who at the time were also deeply religious Quakers. It's mm-hmm. a big uh, Quaker community. And I think it's three or four families run all 70 ships. So they're extremely wealthy. Holy shit. Ship. Damn it. Oh, that's good. I'll let it in post. Thank you. <laughs> the Quakers were anti-violence to humans. That's one of their beliefs. But they had no problem with fucking up the whales. Melville would describe them as, quote, Quakers with a vengeance, oh. which I think is a great film title. Yeah. Someone make that. I think it should be the sequel, Quakers with a vengeance. Queefers with a vengeance. Oh, that's good. Yes. Now we're onto something. Now you're that would be the squeakle. Now you're cooking with whale oil. That's where you were going with that one? <laughs> I don't know. I reckon. All right. 
It's a good one. <laughs> All right, you can have that one. Uh, George Pollard Jr., our future captain, was himself the son of a ship's captain, George Pollard Sr. Oh. I assume I didn't read that anywhere, but I assume. And uh, it's, he seemed destined to spend his life on the seas. He started serving on a ship called the Essex in his teens and rose through the ranks from second mate to first mate. And finally, in 1819, at the age of 28, he was named as captain of that whaling ship. Wow. Captain. At our age, Jess. Could have been the captain. Yeah, I'm captain of this pod. Mm. This Pequod. We're co-captains, to be fair, but captain is still in my title. I'm captain of my house where I live alone. Yep. I'm in charge. So, bet you feel like an idiot. And you're out. Uh, someone's second in charge. <laughs> <laughs> so he's captain. He's made it, baby. It's his dream. Now with Pollard at the helm, a crew were to sail the Pacific Ocean to hunt sperm whales, as they always did. They would all share in the profits of the journey, and if it was successful, Pollard's share would be in the vicinity of $150,000 today. It's a bit of a pay, payday, but he's yeah. the captain, so he's making the most. The Essex was already an old vessel by this time, the wooden ship having spent two decades being smashed by unforgiving waves in the open ocean. But it had, had a great career. It was considered by many to be a lucky ship, despite its age and obvious wear. Mm. Never had any problems in the past. It's a beaut. She's all good. She's good. I love their optimism. Mm. I admire that. Don't you? Yeah, I do. And mm. I think it's going to come true. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely smart to go, yeah, no, nah, I know this this ship is leaking, but it's lucky. <laughs> So that's fine. Don't worry about it. No, I'm not going to fix it. It's lucky. Would you fix luck? Come on. You would fix the luck right out of it. That hole is lucky. (laughs) Yeah, that gaping hole that gets bigger with every day. That's more luck. More more water, more luck. Look at how lucky we're getting. (laughs) We're lucky to have water in that hole. Because of the previous century of killing whales in their local area, century, yes, they've been killing for a long time, whalers started having to search further and wider and travel to more remote oceans. Because whales were like, well, I'm probably not going to go over yeah. there. Yeah, Nantucket, I don't think so. Darren went over there and he never came back. <laughs> there could That's be some correlation. How long, yeah, when did we start realising that you can overfish? Uh, Quite well, a bit after this, I yeah, think. Yeah, a few. Well, many decades after this, because they can only multiply by one percent of their entire population per year. Wow! So it takes a long time for them to come back. Right. But at the time, they were killing thousands every season. Ugh. Imagine how they would think of us. You know, now we turn around and say, "Oh no, we're protecting you." It's like, okay, you did this. Yeah. Well, well, well. You slaughtered <laughs> us. Yeah. And now you're like, oh no, we'll look after you. Oh, gee whiz, thanks, fuckos. Yeah. Leave us alone. That's what I'd be saying. Do you reckon the whales would think of us as soy boys? Oh, yeah, protect the whales. (laughs) Definitely. They're like, oh, yeah, you can talk. Yeah. Because I'm assuming they outlive us as well. So, like, because they they get really old like tortoises. Oh, so I I assume they outlive us when we ultimately (laughs) nuke ourselves and they'll, of course, (laughs) live on. And (laughs) who's got the last laugh now, whale? I mean, it's funny, but if you're listening to this at a time when we have nuked ourselves, probably poor taste for me to have laughed so hard. No, but I do. That reminds me of another great Simpsons reference when Lisa goes around to Nelson's house having a crush on him, and he's got a, a poster that says "Nuke the Whales," and she says, "Nuke the Whales? What does that mean?" He goes, "I don't know. Got nuke something." <laughs> Valid point. Oh, poor whales. So it was common for men to be at sea for at least two years at a time on these missions. 
They had no real means of refrigeration, so their supplies couldn't include any vegetables or much proper meat. They mostly existed on a diet of salted pork, heavily salted, and hard tack, which is a type of extremely hard dried cracker made from flour and nicknamed, quote, molar breakers. Oh. It was so hard you couldn't bite into it. Instead, you had to soften it in water or in soup. Oh, like those those teething bickies for babies. <laughs> you know those ones? No. Were they dog biscuits? No, they're just like those really hard biscuits, those those stick You've been around children. Yeah. They've got the the long they're like a breadstick. And they just babies just suck on them while yeah. they're teething. Yeah, right. Breadsticks? Yeah, you're thinking about baguettes? Yeah. Mini baguettes. <laughs> I'll just call them breadsticks. Well, <laughs> you would. <laughs> You like the, uh, yeah, how you say? Vocabulary? Yes. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, so they're eating this hardtack stuff, which lasts a long time, but I imagine is terrible to eat. It's still apparently very popular in Alaska. And with babies. Hmm. And it's also a survival food, like uh, in military packs, if you go in the middle of nowhere and you've got to have food that lasts forever, they give you this crap because it doesn't go off. How good are breadsticks, though? So good. Yum. I think you do well in the military. I'm hungry. Especially with a bit of butter boy on them. Oh, yum. <laughs> Put a bit of butter boy on there. Oh, how about a little bit of dip? Yeah. How about a little bit of chus? A bit of hummus. Oh, a bit of hummus. I love hummus. Me too. I love think... a bit of brie. Oh, yes. Mm. Mm. Seriously, I'm just hungry now. Me too. Do go on. Uh, the ship was about as long as a tennis court and quite cramped. But what size that is, tennis court? Oh, table tennis? Yeah. <laughs> Wee tennis? Yeah. Wee table tennis, much smaller. That was That's a wee a... tennis court, if a Scottish person wants to describe it. Right. That is a small boat. Yeah, it's not a big boat. Yeah, so, and uh, it's actually quite small in comparison to other whaling ships as well. So as like, whales being old, it's quite small. But it's also lucky. But it's lucky. Right. Lucky how to many, be that small. How many people were on it? Uh, 21 was Oof. the crew. I mean, just have one less. Where do they sleep? Yeah. Well, I didn't even notice that one, so... Thanks for pointing it out. Now I'm going to obsess about it. Well, like 21, that's a good number. They would spend their entire journey on the ship, obviously, mm. sleeping below the deck. The only time they would get off is when they hit the water in four small whaling boats in which they would pursue the whales. So they're in dinghies going after whales. Yes, it's an extremely dangerous job. That's such a dumb job. It's a really dangerous job. I'm not doing it. Yeah. I refuse. Well. You can't make me, Dave. Okay. Yeah, I'm not whaling. I'm, I'm, I also, uh, I'm not going to take up your offer, Dave. Thank you, Dave. But thanks you for will having. Be... Well, offer withdrawn. Oh uh, no, we. No, no, we. I think you're just doing that thing where you're trying to like fire us before we've resigned. Yeah, we quit. But no, oh, damn it. We're doing it on our terms, mate. Yeah. Wait. If you fire us, I think we get um, oh. unemployment benefits. Yeah. Say I'm it again. Afraid... I'm gonna to have to offer you the job. I'm pretty oh. sure that's a bit from the the office. Uh, oh, was the office? I thought it was the, the first episode of the nanny. Oh right. Yeah, well, in the office, he um, they have people come from a different branch, and Michael Scott, Steve Carell's character, fires a guy when he after he says he quits, and then he gets a call from head office saying, "Well, now we have to pay him all these benefits because you fired him. He was just gonna leave, and that would mean it. But because he's so arrogant, he can't have someone leave. He goes, that's it. You're fired.'" <laughs> <laughs> but on the nanny, something similar? I'm pretty sure that the nanny herself maybe 
said I quit and then she went back and said, no, you fired me. That way I can get unemployment benefits. I'm pretty sure that's right. Uh-huh. That some, was some 90s sitcom. Pre-meeting Maxwell Sheffield, obviously. Of course, yeah. Because there's no HR department for her when she's just when she's. Well, lady. at that point she hadn't got to the Sheffield's door yeah. when the father saw more. She had style. She had flair. She was there. That's how she became the nanny. Who would have thought? <laughs> um, so they're sleeping below. Of the 21 sailors, it was a mixture of white and black men. And I'm sorry to report that the black sailors were given the smallest of the already cramped cabins. So they were sort of treated as second-class citizens on the ship. No, you're all doing the same job. Yes, very much the case. So sad part of history. So there's 21 on board, but we're going to focus mostly on five of the crew, just to make it easier for you to remember who I'm talking about. No, I can remember 21 names. All right, here we go. John, Dave, Ben, Greg, Simon. that's you saying 21 names. Oh, I can remember them, though. All right, go back through them. John, Greg, Dave, Ben, Simon. That was actually right. Fuck you, Matt. Well, that was five, which you need to remember. Great, you've proved you can. Here we go. Uh, So on board we've got George... Pollard Jr. has already discussed the captain. He was one of the youngest men to ever captain a whaling ship. Good for him. What an honour. Does what he get honor. a hat? Hell yeah. Youngest ever captain, captain. hat? Yeah, L badge. Uh, Owen Chase, the 22-year-old oh, first mate. That is a fantastic name. That's great. Owen Chase. Owen Chase. He was first very, mate. He was very ambitious and not afraid to question his commander's decisions. Ooh. So second in charge. That's sexy. Mm. Uh, then we have Thomas Nickerson. Nickerson. Nickerson, the 14-year-old cabin boy. Oh, Thomas. A journey like this was seen as a journey to manhood for people on the island of Nantucket because most of them grew up to be whalers. You went on board a cabin boy, but you came out, Matt, say it. A cabin man. (laughs) (laughs) So do you reckon, were there other professions you could do other than whaling? What if you wanted to be a whale? Well, you could live on the island. Yeah, I mean, you could be a whale man. Mama, Papa, I don't want to be a whaler. What do you mean you don't want to? What's wrong with me? I've got to be What do you hyper. mean you don't want to be Bob Marley's backing band? <laughs> <laughs> they were called the whalers. I want to be a whale. He makes himself a little whale costume and he's running around their backyard and they're like looking out at him out the kitchen window like, where did we go wrong? But then... Eventually, he's the best goddamn whale they've ever seen. And they're like, we should never have doubted you, son. And then they salute as he swims off into the sunset. At the into whale the sunset. <laughs> and burns to death. <laughs> but he was happy. All right, we've got two more characters here. Sorry. We've got uh, Owen Coffin. Two Owens. Whenever we've had a list of I people. Know, it's always Owen Coffin. Yeah, okay. Owen Coffin. Is that the name? Yeah, he, he was another teenager. He was a friend of Nickerson as well as being Captain Pollard's first cousin. Oh, Pollard, nepotism. Pollard promised Coffin's mother that he would look out for the boy on the ship's journey. Jeez, Bullshit. Co- oh, that's bad omen. Dave's, yeah, Dave's fucking, he's sizzling. That's Something Owen bad's going to happen to Coffin. I would not be bringing any coffins onto my ship. I think it, it just sets well, What are you going to do with the body then? If somebody dies of natural causes. Just dump it in the... Yeah, bury them at sea. Bury them at sea. Well, they're not buried, are they? They're just dumped. Float them. <laughs> Do they off, like... Float them oh, off to sea. Never mind. Usually they, they sew them up into a, like a canvas thing and then fill it with the rocks and throw them I was going to ask if they weigh them down. Yeah, they and then they say they drop them off, they go, now you're going to swim with the fishes. No sleep. <laughs> <laughs> 
You want to swim with the fishes? Oh, for God's sake, Don, can you get the fucking catchphrase right? It's not as scary with swimming with the fishes. Sleeping. No, I'm going to give him got some scuba gear. Yeah, <laughs> got to take him on a guided tour. He's going to love it. Hey, all right. Hey, let's go swimming. I just, got my, I just got my scuba license. You said I could do this. Let's go swimming with the fishes. <laughs> huh? You'll be wearing a pair of concrete gloves in no time. Gloves? For fuck's sake, it's boots, you dumb shit. <laughs> And oh, I wanted to teach him how to box, you know? <laughs> bada bing, bada boom, eh? You punch, you punch with a... If you're strong enough to punch with the concrete gloves, take off the concrete and you pow, pow, pow. Knock him down. Is that William Shatner? Yeah. Playing Rocky. Wow, there's something on Rocky's I'm wing. I'm going to <laughs> predict Matt. Yes. Something's going to happen to Owen Coffin. That's yes. based on me. Reading Dave Warnick. And finally, the fifth person I want to tell you about is second mate Matthew Joy, third in command. Matthew Joy, bringing a lot of joy to the ship. M. Joy. Matt, which one of us is your first mate? Mm. Think wisely. Okay. I'll think wisely and I'll keep it to myself. <laughs> good, good one. Uh, so, just to recap, we've got Captain George Pollard, Owen Chase. First mate. Owen Chase, he had a career in Hollywood soon after. I know Hollywood wasn't around for 120 years or something, but still. Yeah, I reckon he Owen went Chase straight to Hollywood. The and we got uh, Thomas Nickerson, cabin boy. Owen Coffin, the guy that Captain Pollard promised he'd look after his relative. And then finally, Matthew Joy. Matthew Joy, a little sunshine boy. Some great names in there. All right, so they're the five we're going to talk about for the most part. Great. Fuck off the rest of them. Uh, the Essex and her crew departed Nantucket on August 12th, 1819. Mm, a good year. They were expecting a two-and-a-half-year journey that would take them down the east coast of South America, through the treacherous Cape Horn below South America, and then into the Pacific Ocean on the other side. So hang on. When they're whaling, what do they do with the whale? I'm afraid to say that they kill the whale. No, I know that. <laughs> but I mean, sorry. like you know, They don't bring the whale on board with them and collect whales as they go. No, basically, it's really brutal. But they see the whale, they jump in their four whaling boats and go after the whale because they can sort of get up really, really close. Yep. And then one of them throws a harpoon into the whale, hoping that it will like get in ni- like nice and deep. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. And then they hang onto the rope that's attached to the harpoon and then the whale keeps swimming until it gets too tired and then it slows down and then they just stab it a lot and it dies. And then... They row it back to the boat, which takes hours because it weighs several tons. Yeah. It takes hours. And then they get it close to the boat and they chop off the bits that they want in the water. So they, they just cut off it. the blubber and then they cut off the head. They bring the head onto the deck and then they drain the liquid, the oil from within its head into barrels that they store below. Yeah, that's and then more they, what I was thinking. They, and then they uh, take the, you know, they try and take like a thousand barrels back or whatever. Whoa, that's messed up. It's, it's a, really a horrible. Yeah, and not the most the efficient working method either. It's, it isn't. Do you find it interesting that um, we like certainly in the West anyway? We seem to be very anti whaling. It feels like maybe more than any other animals, this is the one that people are very against. We're at very, as a general, people yeah. seem to be anti whaling. Mm, stop the whalers, but but not like. But it's pretty common. Every everyone else, you know, majority of people would um, eat meat or and you know such things every day. What? Why do you reckon it is? Is it because they're just so much bigger? Uh, and well, I also so- think it because like they are quite endangered now because right. of human behaviour. Right. I think it um, definitely had a big resurgence as well after Free Willy. 
Ah, uh, yes. When people are like, no, they're cute. Yeah, for kind of like how people killed dogs before Airbud, you know? Right. Yeah, then they're like, holy shit, they can play b-ball? Dogs are cute. It also, but it shows how silly people are because orcas aren't even whales. Yeah. They're killer mm. whales, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't trust them. <laughs> All right, so they're off on a two and a half year journey and disaster struck. How on, soon? On day four. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's going to be like a nearly thousand, year, thousand day journey on day four. They were caught in a storm and Pollard ordered them to travel across the storm to get away from it, but right. miscalculated the strength of the wind and they ended up being blown completely over. Oh, no. The ship now on its side in the water. It looked pretty bad. And the whales were coming. <laughs> but luckily, you are actually predicting my next uh, words here because another freak gust of wind caught the sails and blew them back upright. No. And they were able to continue sailing. What? That's a, that's a lucky it's ship. It's a lucky ship. You, and we were making jokes I about wasn't. the hole in Everything the I said was sincere. Me too. This whole time. The ship was damaged and one of the smaller whaling boats was lost. Oh, the dinghy. Captain George Pollard ordered the ship to turn around and return to Nantucket for repairs and to restock. But our ambitious first mate, Owen Chase, challenged the captain's decision. <gasps> you he- challenge your captain? I yeah. picture him with a leather jacket on and windswept hair and maybe Ray-Ban aviators. Yep. James Dean. picturing James yeah, Dean. Yeah, James Dean. Yep. And I'm picturing the captain to be a bit of a nerd so that when James Dean's like... Stands up to him. He's like, oh, yeah, okay. Jerry Lewis in, in nerd mode. Is that what yes. you're Or something more. I've gone for two no, very you've old nailed references. It. You've nailed it. Yep. Well, this is an old story. Yeah, I think that's where my head's at. In this story, that'd be a fresh reference. Yeah, no, I'm like, I'm going for old references, but I don't have any old enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, our mate James Dean, Owen Chase, challenged the captain. He argued that if they returned now, the crew would desert the ship. Many had never properly been at sea before, and now they've just seen how dangerous it could be this early on. With the prospect of not returning home for two and a half years, I reckon I too might get out while I can. I wouldn't have gone in the first place. <laughs> you made that very clear. <laughs> They'd be like, do you want to come? No, absolutely not. Please leave me alone. That's what I would have said. Get out of my bedroom, you sailing bastards. <laughs> I hold all my business meetings in my bedroom. <laughs> In your pajamas, tucked up in bed. Yeah, I'm cozy. They're at your bedside, going, please. We want you to sail with us. Say please. no, tuck me in. Well, I'll tuck you in, but please, we we sail at at noon tomorrow. <laughs> nice late start, as you requested. Perhaps if you read me a story, I will think about okay, it. Okay, well, uh, here we go. Um, and the little do the voices. Um, <sighs> and the little elephant said, yes. I different will. <laughs> voices for different characters. Oh. Yes, I'm the little elephant now, and I'm happy to be here. <laughs> you have it a boy here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> please, uh, please, now will you sail with us at noon? No. <laughs> God damn but it. thank you for the story. Good night. So she's getting free stories every night. <laughs> Mama's no fool. <laughs> this is the last time she gets me. <laughs> so Owen Chase is being like, no, nah, we can't go back. Captain Pollard backed down and they continued on. This is just many times where the first mate and others would question the captain's decisions and many times where he would just back down. 
This led his authority to be questioned and the ambitious first mate to only grow stronger with confidence. Oh, dear. So it's not a great combination. You want your captain to be respected and his decisions listened to. And now you've got a few too many cooks happening. Oh, they got cooks as well. Yeah. Yeah, that is... Someone's got to prepare the hard biscuits. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, the that baguettes. Is, he does like he does a test where he throws them on the ground and if they break, they're faulty. <laughs> yeah, not hard enough. He throws them to the sea. <laughs> Back in the kitchen. I'm going to have a time out for a bit. <laughs> no, have a time in. <laughs> uh, they killed a few whales on the way, spotting their first one off the coast of Brazil. But they didn't get much oil and had to press on to find more whales and more oil. After five weeks, they made it around Cape Horn under South America. Quite a dangerous stretch of ocean. There must be so much blood on their boat, you know, because they just bring the whale head blood on. Blood and blubber. Uh, they found the waters off the coast of the other side of South America had been fished out and there weren't many whales left to be hunted. They stopped off in Ecuador where one of the crew, Henry DeWitt, deserted, so now they were down to 20 men. Jess, you'd love that. So he left. Yeah, I'm now he's in Ecuador. That. And Henry DeWitt sounds like a real dumb shit, so... Henry Happy to DeWitt lose him. is a real dumb shit. That's where that old... <laughs> that's uh, where they were chanting as he left. That's where that old children's <laughs> nursery rhyme came from. Get off our boat. Do you reckon that's why he left? He was just being... Were, like, yeah, uh, he's being bullied. Being mocked. Yeah. yeah. Oh, DeWitt had no idea just how lucky he was. Oh, dear. So now they're down to 20. They're actually obviously a man down and everyone's got their own jobs, but they continue on with 20. They had heard from other whalers about a breeding ground of sperm whales in the middle of the Pacific and hoped that this was the place that they could find the whales to fill their oil barrels. So they sailed deep into the Pacific, far from any shore and any islands. Mm. That sounds smart. I'm get, what, was this like, were they, was, had science come far enough that they knew that whales weren't a finite, an infinite resource? Or were they thinking, you know, there's, the seas are so big, oceans are so big, they'd be full of whales. There'd be whales forever. Well, I, c- I can't say. I wonder when we realised no, that. tell us what they thought back then. You know what? I think we realised that when we started to not u- need the whale oil anymore. Right. And when people couldn't become, like, millionaire and billionaires off of it, sadly. Yeah, right. Mm. Humans are pretty dumb, aren't we? We're real smart, too. True. I mean, what a dichotomy. And we can also be seriously terrible. But we and, can be so great. You know? God. God. You know, you flip a coin. Life or life or life or life. Just like Ricky Gervais sang in The Office, I think. On the way to the breeding ground, to restock and stretch their legs, they stopped off at the Galapagos Islands. The Galapagos Islands are famous for their wildlife and the number of species that are found there and there alone. Charles Darwin would visit a couple of decades after this and complete many of his groundbreaking studies on evolution. So there you go. First, the crew stopped off at Hood Island to fix a leak in the Essex. And whilst there, the men collected 300 Galapagos tortoises. They're the giant, slow-moving tortoises. They They collected collected 300? Yeah. Got to so catch them all. They're the ones that live, you know, they live like 150 years yeah. type thing. They were treasured by sailors as they lived a long time without food or water and could be eaten as fresh meat throughout oh, the journey. Oh, 
are. But where are you going to store them? You've only got a tennis court. Well, they put many in the hold below. hundred. They put many in the hold below, although some were able to roam around the deck. Imagine that. They're oh, these, you just got little pet turtles. It's just these tortoises, tortoises walking around very, very slowly. I like them. Are, are one of my favorite animals. I think they're great as well, but that... That feels weird to me. Got really weird dicks, though. But it makes sense, didn't it, really? Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> Save it for Keen for Pain episode. Yeah, you're right. I'm just going to talk about different animals, weird willies. All right, yeah, duck dicks. This is all. Yeah. I guess it's a good Patreon bonus. Yeah. This kind of goes in and then, like, expands. Like, really? opens up, yeah. Like, Sally's No More Gaps? Yes. Jess, would you like to tell me what's weird about that? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a giant tortoise dick. I never said that was giant. It's going to live 150 years. You did. It'll outlive us all. Yeah, it's just me and the whales, my dick and the whales. We've nuked everything else. <laughs> Dave's dicks swim in the seven seas. <laughs> swim with the fishes. Hey, your dick's going to swim with the fishes. Oh, no. I got a little, I got a little uh, wetsuit for it. It's real cute. <laughs> going to put some little goggles on there. Can I? You need a little sunscreen on that. <laughs> Here's a little oxygen tank. I had a custom made. I'm very good at my job. <laughs> the customer is always right. Oh my god! His dick is filling the space. In this case, it's the open seas. <laughs> it's smothering us all. Ah, Dave's dick. Ah, that's, and that's the ad for Sellies. Yeah, Sellies. No more seas. <laughs> Yeah, I can take care of the seas for you. <laughs> Give me one dick. <laughs> so they got 300 of these tortoises, which is just insane. Yeah. Then they moved on to Charles Island, also in the Galapagos, now renamed Floriana Island. Ooh. Remember that name for another report. Oh. Floriana Island. I'm going to forget that. But then I'll report. know next time that it's something to do with that, but I won't remember it. So that'll be fun. <laughs> hey? And then listeners will be like, Jess said she wouldn't remember this. And she doesn't. Go away. God, it's going to be so much fun. Uh, Time out. (laughs) Once on Floriana Island, the crew collected another 60 100-pound Galapagos tortoises. Wait, what? How many tortoises are there on this island? 360 they've got now. And as a prank, (laughs) you know when you want to – you love a good prank. You guys love a good prank, right? Yeah. As a prank, one of the crew set a fire – on the island that's as they're fun. leaving. That's fun. And being the dry season, the flames quickly spread into a raging inferno. That's a fun prank. <laughs> Captain Pollard's men barely escaped back to the ship, having to run through flames to escape, and a day after they set sail, they could still see smoke from the burning island on the horizon. Yeah, that I think I saw fun. that episode of Punked. <laughs> Yo, you've been punked. I mean, who doesn't love a good prank? That's fun. I know. I love, I love it when people dis- destruct an island. This island will destruct. <laughs> the Smithsonian writes, quote, Many years later, Charles Island was still a blackened wasteland, oh. and the fire was believed to have caused the extinction of both the Floriana tortoise and the Floriana mockingbird, end quote. Because there's in the Galapagos, because it's so in the middle of nowhere, there's all mm. these animals that over time have evolved to be these animals you can't find anywhere else. So they've got just that island had its own type of tortoise. And now they just burn it all. What did we have the name of the fire starter? In a prank. Never identified. Captain Pollard himself was furious and wanted to punch the person, but didn't find out who it was. 
That what a weird. That's bad. Hey, it's a prank. Oh, and I forgot. Sorry. Thank that you. That is fun. Yeah. That is fun. All right, you can spin anything. Causing extinction. <laughs> Puncture, Floriana Tortoise. Yeah. You got punked, bitch. Boom. There's a camera there. There's a camera there. What's a camera? <laughs> What's a camera? I'm, I don't think there's anything more heartbreaking than an extinction. It's really, I know. Your stupid prank just killed an entire two entire species. And many more animals. Uh, They continued on the fire raging behind them. They'd been on the seas for 15 months when they finally reached the offshore ground where mating female sperm whales could be found. This is the place they wanted to go that the people in Ecuador told them would be a good place to find. Lots and lots of these whales. They were now more than 1,500 nautical miles or 2,800 kilometres from the Galapagos and those islands themselves are very remote. So they're they're basically in the middle of fucking nowhere. It was at this point that some of the crew started to get a bit restless. Here they were 9,000 miles from home with one task, to collect whale oil. Every day they went hunting and yet time and time again they came up empty-handed. And remember, they're only profiting if they get the whale oil. It's not really a wage-based thing. you got to get the oil. First you get the oil, then you get the money, then you get the power, then you get the women. Right. It's a system that works. Hey, you want me to question it? Uh, when they went out, the crew divided into three groups of six, each of which would man one of the three usable whale boats whenever whales were sighted. The remaining two men would stay aboard and manage the Essex. The, t- the two remaining men would stay aboard and wank tortoises. <laughs> Who's on tortoise wanking duty? I oh, sir. <laughs> 360, all right. Get the rubber gloves. And how would you keep track of the ones you had wanked? Well, you'd see it because they got the huge space-filling dicks out. <laughs> Why would they want to do that? They've lost all their space again. Yeah. Don't do that. Stop wanking them. That's what I keep telling them. Yeah. But, you know, no. you know what happens on the seas? Stays on the seas. Hmm. So on November 16... The men went out in three small 25-foot whaling boats as usual. First mate Owen Chase directed his boat to a clear patch where he, he thought a whale might surface. And it did. Unfortunately, it did so directly beneath the boat and threw the men into the air and the men had to return to the main ship clinging to a wrecked boat. It was a bit of a bad omen. Yeah, whale. One for the whales. That's one for the, so that's one of three boats. So there's one captain by Captain Pollard. One by first mate Chase, and the third one is uh, second mate Matthew Joy. So they're all in charge of five men each, and they go out every day. And Owen Chase just had his boat fucked up. Four days passed. Some time was dedicated to repairing the broken whaling boat. When in the distance, one of the ship's lookouts saw the spout of whales. The weather was calm. It was a good day for hunting, so they sent the whale boats out, hoping to finally get a bunch of this oil. Chase again got close to a whale, and as he was about to throw his harpoon, the whale panicked and hit the side of the small boat with its tail, putting another small hole in it. They had to limp the damaged vessel back to the Essex for repairs. So it's been smashed twice now. That's two for whales. Uh, panicking whales, huh? Right. I'm panicking. Uh, the other two whaling boats, Captain by Pollard and Joy, were still out in the water some way away, and Chase, feeling like he was missing out again, furiously worked to fix his boat so he could get straight back out there and get some more whales. It was at this point that our young cabin boy, Thomas Nickerson, now 15 years old, is that a birthday? He spotted something in the water not far away from the ship. It was a huge male sperm whale. 
an estimated 85 feet or 26 meters long, which was almost as long as the Essex itself. So basically, it's the length of a tennis court. It was the largest whale that any of them had ever seen. A typical sperm whale is usually no bigger than 65 feet or 20 meters. Okay. So it's massive. If their estimate of its size is accurate, it's likely that the whale could have weighed 80 tons. Whoa. They could see the whale's head and it was covered in battle scars, probably from eating giant squid, which is what they often eat, and ramming other male sperm whales. Nice. He's a bit of a bad boy. Love that. Now, he's got a leather jacket on, Matt. Yeah. This whale is wearing a very big leather jacket. I was just getting a picture for myself because I... I wasn't exactly sure what they look like, which ones they were, but yeah, they're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful whales, and have the they real have square heads, a very big head, yeah. yeah. So he's got that massive head, but covered in scars, battle scars. This he's covered in scars, beauty treatment scars. <laughs> <laughs> what, all of the, like the pause is like, what kind of scars are they going to be? <laughs> Some sort of. Emotional scars. <laughs> yeah, you could see his breast emotional damage. augmentation scars. <laughs> that were healing up nicely. His confidence had never been stronger. <laughs> confidence at an all-time high. Unlike all the other whales that usually flee from the boats, this whale seemed to be floating on the surface of the water, letting out the occasional puff through its blowhole. Oh. It was almost like it was watching them. I like just imagine someone with a cigar just calmly... <laughs> Watching someone as if they're about to do something. (laughs) (laughs) After two more puffs of his cigar, the whale suddenly dived and then surfaced about 30 metres or 90 feet from the Essex. At first, the crew were a bit confused but not worried, as a whale had never, ever attacked a ship before. Why would this be any different? Oh, my God, they hadn't seen Jaws. (sighs) Did a whale attack a ship in Jaws? In a way. Spoiler. (laughs) Haven't seen it. Haven't seen Jaws. I don't think so. There's heaps and heaps of whales in it. I've seen plenty of parodies. I know that there's shark. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Yeah, they need a bigger boat. A shark eats a beach. I've seen. You know, I yeah, get, the shark ate the beach. Get the gist of it. Some sort of tornado. Yeah. End scene. It's beautiful. It's a masterpiece. So looking at the the whale, it's just surfaced thirty meters away, and they're wondering, what's this guy doing? But then the whale picked up speed and it became clear that it was coming directly for the port side of the ship. Chase realised what was about to happen and shouted to Nickerson, put the helm hard up, to try and move out of the way. Several crew members cried out warnings. Quote, scarcely had the sound of the voices reached my ears, Nickerson recalled, when it was followed by a tremendous crash. End quote. The force of the whale smashing into the ship was so much that every man lost his footing and Galapagos tortoises flew across the deck. No, they can fly? <laughs> what are you doing there? Go home. Fly home. Why? <laughs> I'm sorry. Your home has been burned. Fly home. The men got up and were shocked and also amazed. Had that really just happened? They were also quite horny. With all those big tortoise dicks And they'd around. been on the ship for 15 months. Mm. Again, never before in the history of the Nantucket whale fishery had a sperm whale ever deliberately attacked a ship. They were like, what the fuck? The sperm whale swam under the ship and did more damage to the underneath of the craft and Chase grabbed his lance, which is the not the harpoon but the thing that you use at the when the whale's tired. That's what you kill it with. It's like right. the, the final blow. 
He steadied his arm and was about to stab the creature whilst it was close when he noticed that it was close to the ship's rudder and he speculated that if the whale freaked out, its tail, because of its size, could smash their rudder and then they'd be in the middle of the ocean without any way of steering. That's smart. Yeah, that was quite a calculated kind of move there. It was probably a decision he would live to regret. okay. The whale swam about half a kilometre away and in the water started thrashing about and snapping its jaws wildly. What? It was pissed off. (laughs) As if distracted, Chase Letter wrote, with rage and fury. Chase Letter wrote, Bob. Yeah, I know. I was thinking of that before when Nicholson was Ooh. Nickerson was recalling something. So now the whale was a while away, the crew began to set up pumps to pump out any water that may have rushed in after the hit. So they were distracted when Chase recalls hearing a man shout, Here he is! He's making for us again! This the, is awesome. The men looked out and saw the whale again coming for the ship this time travelling at twice the speed of its first attack. Yeah, it got a run-up. <laughs> Honestly, it went out yeah. and got a much bigger run-up this time. <laughs> Chase ordered a change of course, but it was too late to get out of the way. The noise was incredible as the whale hit just below the anchor, water flying everywhere. Now well, water can fly. <laughs> this, go home, story. Water. <laughs> <laughs> this story is wild. Well, it is wild because the whale swam away and was never seen again. So it just hit the boat hit a couple of times. Twice, and then... second time, like a knockout. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. If it's your first ever website or your business is expanding... Not in a way that's like, oh, my God, it's expanding like yeah, yeah. More physically. Like it's growing more customers, yes. more interest. Not like it's going to explode. Yeah, not like it's a building that's like blowing up and yeah, it's yeah. oh, what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. And I don't think they mean for marriage. You can sell your products on an online store, whether you sell physical or digital products or you offer services like massage or oh. nails. Oh my gosh. Or uh, consulting. Should we, after this, get mani pedis? <laughs> Babe, I've already booked us in. <laughs> um, Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. You know, what about blogging tools, you yeah. might be asking? I like to blog. I love to blog. I like to blog. I like to vlog. Yes. Well, Squarespace has powerful blogging tools to share stories, photos, videos, and updates. You can categorize, you can share, and schedule to make your content work for you. Scheduling is the best. Oh. Yeah. It looks like Jess has just uploaded something, What it? but it's like 3 a.m. in Australia. Yeah. Yeah, but it's the exact time I wanted to do it in New York City, baby. Exactly. Capture that New York market. Yeah. You mentioned vlogging as well. If you're into vlogging, you can organise your video library, showcase your content on beautiful video pages, sell access to your videos with member areas. The possibilities are endless. Now head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and save 10% on your first purchase of a website or domain. And then bail. And then you left. Water began running into the broken ship so fast, the only things the crew could do was lower the boats and try and fill them with navigational instruments, some bread water, and a few supplies. The they're, ship They're bailing. 
They just left. Wow. The ship quickly turned on its side. The whole incident, from the whale first appearing to the ship capsizing, took less than 10 minutes. Whoa. So- <laughs> What a whale! They're all so they can't they can hardly believe what's just happened. A whale's never attacked a ship before, and now it's sunk their ship in ten minutes, and now they're lying like in their small whaling boat, going, "What the fuck? What? We're going down quick! <laughs> and get the horny turtles into a tortoises into a, the little boats. Is that what they have to do? Or did they have to ride the turtles to safety? <laughs> well, unfortunately, because they're tortoises, they're not great at swimming. Oh, so, like turtles. They're more land things. Yeah, because they got like. Feet, other than flippers, this is this is for How me. How did I not know that? Oh, there's between a turtle and a tortoise. I did not know that a tortoise is not a great swimmer. I didn't know that either. I assume they what do they walk on the bottom of the ocean? Yeah, they don't. They're like water. They 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 don't hate the water, right? They're still okay in water, aren't they? Or they they're just. Did land. those tortoises drown? <gasps> I can't I believe wanna... a tortoise drowned. Sorry to say that they probably drowned. They can't swim. I didn't know that either. They, uh, these ones, because of their size, they find it harder to float. And they're also from, yeah, they're so far from land now. Yeah. I mean, oh. even if they could swim, they'd never make it home. Oh. Anyway, this is probably, the, for me, the craziest visual is for the other guys, because remember that the other two whaling boats, captained by Pollard and Joy, are still out hunting whales. Ah. Oh. They have no idea what's just happened back at the main boat, the Essex. They're that far away. They're two miles away. So they can't. They Distracted by this. a whale, you know, they've got the harpoon in or whatever, like chasing it down. When one of the crew members glanced over his shoulder and saw the Essex on her side, look, look, he said, what ails the ship? She is upsetting, end quote. But by the time all the men turned around, they couldn't see a thing, for the ship had disappeared over the horizon. The two boats let go of the whales they were uh, pursuing immediately and started rowing back to the ship. They've got no idea what's just happened. Yeah. By the time they got back there, it was on its side and sinking fast. The men all regrouped and everyone was in complete shock. Chase wrote, Not a word was spoken for several minutes by any of us. All appeared to be bound in a spell of stupid consternation. Captain Pollard dropped into a seated position and just stared, bewildered at what he was looking at. Finally, he asked, My God, Mr. Chase, what is the matter? Chase replied to the captain, we have been stove by a whale. We've been stove by a whale. <laughs> Which is something that I like, would never even consider that this is a possibility. Steward William Bond had salvaged two compasses, two copies of Bowditch's New American Practical Navigator, and two quadrants that they could all use to plot a course. Basically just navigational equipment. They calculated their position and realised that they were about as far away from land, give or take a couple of hundred miles, as it is possible to be on planet Earth. Right. They're in the exact spot you don't want to be. They're literally in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, in the middle of the ocean. Starting to feel a bit unlucky. Oh, it's crazy. Is that book they needed... Does, does that make me worried that they need a book that sounds like Navigating for Dummies? <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> Bowditch's New American Practical Navigator. I know, doesn't it? It does sound like it's explaining to them. It's like they're watching a YouTube clip. How to navigate quick. Oh, shit. That's insane. So there's now 20 men split across three small boats. They calculated that the closest land was the Marquesas Islands and the Society Islands. And Captain Pollard's plan was to set for those. They're the closest. We'll go for those. But again, 
Chase Owen, first mate, Ugh. challenged his commander and he and a few of the other crew told him that the people on those islands he'd heard were cannibals and if they wanted to survive, they should instead head south. I'm sorry, Chase Owen, did you just get our boat rammed by a whale? <laughs> no, you fucking idiot. How about you just pipe down, lose some of that confidence, you huh? cocky little fuck? You could have stabbed it while you had the fucking chance, mate. And the lance. But no, please. Pipe in. Let me know what you think we should do, Please you keep, dickhead. keep piping. Yeah, I'll leave you in charge of the boat for five minutes. <laughs> and I you come fucking back. sink it. <laughs> a whale's hit it for the first time in human history. It's like, I mean, what the fuck? It's like leaving teenagers at home alone, <laughs> yeah. you know? You come home and the house is burned down and you say, let's call the fire brigade. And they say, no, 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 let's call the ambulance. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> oh, okay, I'm going to keep listening to you, yeah, you idiot. You dumb shits. Unbelievable. This is why Dave and I should never be parents. Together. Well, so Chase Owen's like, no. Nah. Separately, very good very parents. Very good parents. Very good parents. Chase Owen's like, no, 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 they're cannibals. We're not going to go there to the close islands. Let's go south. Instead, he argued that they should head for Peru or Chile, even though much of the course, which me- measured more than double the distance, 4,000 miles, or 7,400 kilometres, and it would be both against the wind and in strong currents. He said, let's do that. Let's travel 7,400 kilometres. That was Chase? Yeah, in these small boats against the wind. Running against the wind. Bob Seger style. He sounds like an idiot. (laughs) Well, but freaked out by the thought of cannibalism, and as the Smithsonian puts it, quote, in one of the most ironic decisions in maritime history, Pollard agreed to the other men's plan. He said, all right, we won't go to the cannibal island. We'll go to the further island. He said that it was one of the most... So the Smithsonian later described this decision as one of the most ironic decisions in maritime history. Oh, they're about to get cannibals. you will see. (laughs) In reality, the Society Islands in Tahiti, the ones that they said had candles on it, had been, quote, missionized for about 20 years by this point, and if they'd gone there, they would have been totally safe. Oh, my God. But they don't want to... Owen's a fuckhead. Which Owen? Owen Chase. Chase. Owen Chase is a fuckstick. He's a Hollywood bad boy, Jess. No, he's just a bad boy. <laughs> he's naughty. He you is... should go to his room. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just funny to have a strong opinion on something you clearly he... don't really he set know. Fire. He, set fire to it. he set fire to the island. He's I'm sure the arsehole. Yeah, he I mean, does feel like the arsehole. Yeah, that's sort of been settled for two decades by this point. So that instead they went... The opposite. So now they're going, was, they're going for the long shot. It's like, let's go for land. Let's just go for land first. Figure it out from there. Yeah, let's. Surely that makes sense to go for your best chance at like going, or oh, let's roll the dice and see if we get to this place that may be safer. Yeah. Or go to this place where a good chance of getting to uh, that the captain said. And you go, nah. Let's listen to James Dean, guy who dies young. What is he? Twenty-seven. Is he twenty-seven? Club. He's pretty young. So I mean, yeah, it's a. So I mean, you know, James Dean would have said, "Let's go to the further away Cannibal Island." I reckon. But geez, he would have said it was smoldering ice. Oh god, he was good. He's not. He didn't even make it to the twenty-seven club. Just looking at twenty-four. Twenty-four. He's only twenty-four. He only made like three movies. Yeah, right. Why was he so popular? Imagine being such an icon. Well, you'll just look at him. Well, I mean, geez, I wouldn't like that. Just being bloody ogled. Well, it was more than that. He, just appreciate me for my brain. He had a presence. I don't know anything about him. But, yeah, he's, he's interesting. He's an icon from such a small amount of time. Mm. Then yeah. again, the Beatles were only together for like 10 years. That's true. That's true. <laughs> 
That's true. Dave, please do go on. Okay. so the, I need to know what happened. The men reshuffled and divided into the three boats, which were only 20 feet long and had been outfitted with makeshift sails. They dived back into the Essex as much as they could to retrieve as many supplies as possible before heading off. Or of those very hard crackers. They, well, they got a musket and two pistols. A couple of weapons there. A bit waterlogged, but... Two large casks of bread and 600 pounds of hard tack. The crappy biscuit they did stuff. 600 pounds of it. <laughs> no. But that means Woo! all the oil that they had already collected is gone. Oh, they've lost all the oil, yes. No. They'd have, at this point, they're, they're like, all right, we've got to survive. Cut their losses. Fuck the, fuck the boat. <laughs> fuck the oil. They start fucking the oil? Matt. It, they did say it's used in lube. So. All right, lubricant. Right. <laughs> uh, they divided up the rations and supplies, and each boat had what they estimated as two months of provisions, which included 65 gallons of water, 200 pounds of hardtack, and two Galapagos tortoises each. So they got some of the tortoises. <laughs> Which, now they're in an even smaller boat with two tortoises just on the boat. Each. And they've got such big dicks. It's <laughs> <laughs> so big. <laughs> to ensure discipline, Pollard gave each mate a pistol, keeping the musket for himself. So there's Pollard on one boat, there's Chase in charge of another, and there's Matthew Joy on the third boat. Second mate, Matthew Joy had the black sailors on his boat and for some reason was given no navigational aids. So good luck to those guys. They kept the compasses and everything on the other two boats. Because they, they, they had, had two compasses? Is that right? Well, they had uh, two compasses and they also had uh, but they two just quadrants. Like, hey, all right, laters. Or they, couldn't well, they have just followed them directly? No, they're all, they're all sticking together. But it's like if you get lost, right. fucking good luck. Right. Sure, yeah. Surely they go in the middle then or something. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, again, a racist society, so there you go. Captain Pollard has his cousin, Owen Coffin, the one he'd promised to take care of. I, you on keep his boat. mentioning that. You keep mentioning it. You're smiling. Okay. I'm just trying to tell you about where all the, the people are that I talked about, the five people. So you got Matthew Joy. He's on the, the fucked boat, Coffin, basically. The one where they didn't give him anything. Something fucked is going to happen to Coffin. My guess is everyone who dies gets buried inside of Coffin, and that's where the word Coffin comes yeah, from. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Well, God, Before good. that, they called him dead boxes. Yep. Now they call him Coffin. Bring out the dead box. Uh, so Captain Pollard has his cousin, Owen. Owen the one that he Owen promised Coffin. to look after. The one he promised to care of. And on Chase's boat, he had the young cabin boy, Thomas Nickerson. So they're the five that I talked about. Yeah. They, uh, they stayed next to the Essex for a couple of days to work out what to do. They were surrounded by whale oil that leaked from the sinking ship and it began to cover everything. So it was on the surface of the, the water and then the, the waves started making it break over the side of the boat. So now they're all covered in this, uh, this oil. That feels but apt. They are luby. <laughs> so it's very, very slippery. And they're sort of a little bit butter gross. boys in a way. Well, they are now all buttery boys. Two days earlier it had been their fortune, but now it was tormenting them and making their life that little bit... Harder. Yeah. Blubber Boys. Regurgitator wrote a song about them. <laughs> they have a song called Blubber Boy? Yeah. God, they're good. I'm your blubber boy, you should rub me. Looking like a love child in the sea. Something like that. Missing in the sun, I'm melting. Rub me on you. Oh, no, there's a sea bomb in there. You didn't Re- say it. Regret starting that song. <laughs> what does it all mean, though? That was almost a... Strange lyrics. Bernie Taupin-esque. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a masterpiece. <laughs> oh, they set off into the open sea and had to deal with the hot sun and had no shade. Their bread or tack quickly became saturated with seawater and eating it actually made them thirstier. 
Oh. They didn't. They didn't actually. Understand. It got really, really wet, and then they dried it out, and they were eating it, going, "Why is this making us thirstier?" And then after a while, they twigged, "Oh, it's just like we're eating bread covered in salt." These mm. pretzels. <laughs> this this tack is making me thirsty, uh, which was a real problem because they're only allowed the equivalent of one glass of water each a day. Oh, that's not enough. Under the hot sun and surrounded by salt, no good. You got to have eight. Eight know. glasses of water. Oh, whoops! We should have done that. And then just be out there less time. Yeah, all right, so we've actually only got one day of supplies, but it's going to be a great day. You're going to be well. You're going to feel full <laughs> and hydrated. You're welcome. Does the whale oil work as a sunscreen as well? I reckon. It's probably the opposite. Probably makes it worse. Yeah, but they get okay, sick tans. <laughs> Imagine the tan. Uh, there was no fish around and nothing to fish with. And rainwater caught in their sails was found to be undrinkable due to the salt. So nothing's looking good. The men quickly began to suffer from dehydration and were smashed by bad weather, which meant the boats were also in constant need of repair. Just when things couldn't get any worse, in late November, Pollard's boat was damaged by a marine animal speculated to be a killer whale. So now they've been attacked by two mammals, not a whale. What a good save. What are they then? They're sharks. They're um, goldfish. They're humans. In a way, aren't we all They're the moral of the story. (laughs) They're the journey. They're the friends you made along the way. They're free willy. Yeah. Oh, that's right. They actually are part of the dolphin family. Dolphins. Flipper was a spinoff. Yeah. On December 20, after a nearly month at sea. It's nearly Christmas. (laughs) And aren't they looking forward to it? I bet. After nearly a month at sea, having travelled some 1,500 miles or 2,800 kilometres, one of the men saw land and everyone rejoiced. They had arrived at one of the Pitcairn Islands. It's a Christmas miracle! Just in time for Christmas. The men were so happy to be on land and ate whatever food they could. Eggs from birds, crabs, that kind of thing. But they quickly ate everything. They ate eggs from crabs. No, I think think he meant crabs from birds. (laughs) (laughs) Feathers, beaks, crabs, feet. They ate ate every little bit, including their crabs, which, I mean, to you and I, it doesn't seem like a lot of food, but to people that have been starving for a month. Hey, you'd take it. I'd eat a crab. Would you? Off of a bird. Noted. Some of us have dignity. Hmm. They quickly ate everything on the entire island and quickly realised... That's not true. They, they quickly, eat the sand. Like, well, they ate did they all... eat the ground? They didn't... Did they eat the trees? Did they punk this place as well? Did yeah. they eat each other? Just they didn't case, eat everything. Just in case they set it on fire. No, the best, they ate all the food they could find and then they were like, well, we can't stay here. They found a bit of fresh water, but it wasn't, it wasn't enough to sustain them. So that, like, they went to the kiosk and they had all the bubbler bills? All the barney bananas. They said, they, they hey, sw- they how many it? bags of hot chips you got <laughs> in the freezer? Chuck them on. Chuck them all on. <laughs> we're, we're a bunch of... Oh, you're, you're low on oil? Well, we'll help you out. Yeah, we'll we're a bunch of hungry boys. We're hungry blubber boys here. Have you got chicken salt? <laughs> Look, it's not a deal breaker. <laughs> we'll still eat them, but we'd prefer them with chicken salt, please. And Tommy sauce if you got it. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Well, after a week of eating all the Tommy sauce, they decided that if they stayed here, they would all die and that they should take their chances at sea in the hope of hitting Easter Island, which is 1,000 miles or nearly 2,000 kilometres away. Despite this prediction, 
three men chose to stay on the island. This would also help stretch the provision of the men for the men on the boats. So three men were like, ah, see you later. We'll take our chances here. But they yeah. didn't leave them with any rations or anything. Like, good, more for us. Yeah, see ya. They're just trying to catch birds, eat the crabs off them. <laughs> They're like, well, the kiosk is expecting a delivery of more hot chippies. <laughs> so I'll wait here. Thank you. Mm. I've developed a real penchant for crabs. <laughs> and they've made an inquiry about chicken salt yes. and aioli. <laughs> Thank you. So three on the island, 17 back in the boats. The men sailed on through the horrible conditions. Two more should stay back. Second mate, Matthew Joy, who had been suffering from an undiagnosed illness even before the sinking, became the first man to die. He was buried at sea. They weighed him down. So they're not sure what he was sick with. He was just sick. He'd been sick for a while and despite being in charge of one of the ships, he was the first to go. Until this point, all three ships had been together. Is that what it means, my first mate? First dead. He's second mate. Mate, come on. Damn it. It would have been funny, though, if I got it right, wouldn't it? Yeah. You would You would have given me one of these. You know? Like a... You know, yeah, you would have given me one of those. You're going right. to get a snort out of him. Not a snort. An exhale. Oh, an exhale. There's no uh, higher compliment from Dave. Than an exhale. Than a nos- nostril exhale. <laughs> Look at him, he's just giving them out for free now. We've just become an ASMR podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you like that? Huh? Huh? I'm guessing not. A lot this of is people. This me eating peanut butter. <laughs> oh, there are people gagging. There's some people who can't handle stuff. I don't things. like it. <laughs> You're one of them. <laughs> I'm like, I know someone who really hates it. Oh, it's you. Yeah, I don't like it. Ugh. Weird. Until this point, all three ships had been together. But two nights after Joy's death, a storm broke and Chase's boat was separated from the other two. So now there was Captain Pollard's boat travelling with Joy's old boat. Which is the navigation-free boat. Yeah. No GPS. So luckily they're not alone. Turn, take the third, exit. None of that. They don't have any of that. But luckily they're, they're still with Pollard. But now Chase's boat. Remember the one who probably fucked this all up in the first place? He's off on his own. Bye. Good. Eight days after losing sight of Chase's boat, these other two boats were quickly running out of provisions. That day, Lawson Thomas, one of the sailors on Joy's boat, died. With at most a pound of hardtack left to share among the ten remaining men, the crew began to speak of the unspeakable. Cannibalism. Nathaniel Philbrick, who has written a book on this called In the Heart of the Sea, cheerfully writes... Quote, for as long as men had been sailing the world's oceans, famished sailors had been sustaining themselves on the remains of dead shipmates. End quote. So it's normal behaviour. It's fine. It's obviously still an upsetting thing, but it was a bit more accepted amongst people in these situations than probably we would imagine now. Yeah, but I think I think that still has to be how it goes, right? Would you do it? Would you would you eat flesh? No. Or you choose or you're saying die or yeah, what are the options? I'm not, I don't know. I feel like I, I just imagine that something must kick in, some sort of yeah. survival instinct if you're ca- that kicks hungry. in, and you go. And you got nothing to cook them, it. so you're just eating raw. Oh no, they they uh, they can start a little fire. Oh, cook them on a hot stone. Now I'm interested. So they chopped Lawson Thomas up and they oh ate him. Oh my god! They actually ate some of his organs raw. That's oh. not good. They cooked his flesh and organ and some of the other organs on a fire in the boat. So they they cooked it over a hot stone. So it was a bit like a that's disgusting pan cooked meal. No, 
Just seared lightly. Yeah. I'll, I'll have mine blue, thanks. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, I ordered a medium rare. <laughs> this is rare. Can you put it back? Yeah. Or the other way around. This is too cooked. No, thank you. Uncook it. Anthropologists and archaeologists studying the phenomena of cannibalism have estimated that the average human adult would provide, on average, about 66 pounds of edible meat. Not bad. But because of his already emaciated state, because they've been starving for so long, this body probably only provided about half of that. So they're not getting much meat off him. Oh, oh, 30 pounds. I don't know what that really means. I hate this. What's What's a good... What's a steak? You know, what are the, you know when you go to a bar? I can't even remember. Like you like get like three hundred grams. Three hundred grams. That that seems like quite a bit of meat. Says this I, is the two non-meat eaters having a go here. Well, there are ten people and they haven't eaten in a long time. Right, of course. Over the next week, however, three more men died and were oh, eaten. Yay! <laughs> they ate three more men. What the fuck? Do you reckon you'd, they'd start to get like? They'd they'd be like oh shotgun this part like they'd there'd be parts of the body that they liked eating yeah probably. yeah totally you'd have a taste for certain because everything tastes a bit different oh it's disgusting I hate this I'm always yeah like you ta- yeah who's a you might be a rib you might be a rib person oh. you like to eat between the um, I hate that nah never nah, okay what well, yeah just a, the big you want the rump and the you know those bits right bum. I think it's the bum yeah. I don't want to eat your bum. I reckon you do in this instance. Then in the complete pitch black of the night on January 29, I read one of them write about how unless you've been in this situation, you probably can't understand how dark it is out there in the middle of the ocean with no other light around. Especially if it's uh, no moon, no no stars on a foggy night. You literally can't see like your hand in front of your face. It'd be like people pay a lot of money to get that kind of... um, Darkness? That darkness, wait, no mobile phones. You know, you're just back to nature, just with yourself. Oh, I love One that. with yourself. This is, of... this is, are you saying this is a retreat? I think it's like a retreat. It's very, what do you call it when it's looking after you? What do people call it? PD days, personal development, P- self-care. P- self-care is the term. That's what we were discussing off pod. Bit of self-care, Dave. Love that. You know, you've, you've cared for the tortoises this whole trip. Now care for yourself in the dark. Oh, okay. No one's looking. <laughs> is that self-care? You talking about wanking? I guess wanking is self-care in a way. Okay. It yeah. can be something small like listening to music you like or going for a walk, but sure, a wank can be self-care. Something big like a wank. Mm. It could be something small. On the other hand. <laughs> so it's completely pitch black one night when on January 29, the two ships split apart. Oh, basically the light came up and they're like, oh, they're no longer there. I'm guessing there's no rope to, for them to have been connected or anything. Yeah, not sure. I think also they're battling big waves like in the middle right. of the ocean type thing and if a storm hits and in the dark, like like I say, if you can't see in front of your face, yeah, it's not like you can see them right there. You think you'd just every now and then be like, you there? Yep. You know, you go, Marco. Polo. All night. Yeah, it's very annoying for those trying to sleep. I don't know how much sleep's gone on this boat. And, it and so for bad. you know the other boats around who aren't you know in this trouble, yeah, how annoying would it be for them? They're just trying to enjoy their hey, yacht. We're here. We're out just on a cruise. Could you shut the fuck up? Sorry to get potty mouth there. Shut the f and c up. <laughs> the c in that case is cock swallop. <laughs> So the Shut two- the fucking cock swallow up. 
Thank you. I mean, I was trying to yeah. keep sensitive ears, Dave's, away from such potty mouth. I'm googling cock swallop as we speak. Don't, don't image it. That's you for will sure. regret that. <laughs> so the two ships split apart. Captain Pollard and his three remaining men were separated from Joy's old boat, in which three people were still alive: Hendricks, Bond, and West. So there's four in one, three in the other. And this was the boat. The boat with three was the one without a compass, and now they were alone in the middle of nowhere with no idea where they were. In fact, it's not 100% known what happened to these three men. Months later, a whale boat with four skeletons washed up on Duchy Island in the middle of the Pacific. This could have been the men, but it's never been confirmed. This is pre-DNA. Pre-DNA. They were just like, well, it's a whaling ship and there's four bodies in there. Could have been them. So now... Pollard ship is on its own, and so is Owen Chase's boat. They're separate from each other. And the third one, we won't hear about them again because, remember, they possibly disappeared. But speaking of Owen Chase, let's check in on his boat. Ugh. Well, they too had gotten mighty hungry, and when Isaac Cole died, they had the talk and ate him as well. <laughs> the talk was, um, so there's the birds and the bees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, hu- I'm hungry. I know how sex works. <laughs> this is while they're chopping him up. Yeah. Okay, so what you want to do is... When your mum and your dad love themselves... <laughs> Wait, what? Love themselves very much. All they right. have a special cuddle. All right. This guy just keeps talking about self-care the whole fucking time. <laughs> Shut up. He'd be that the guy worst. won't stop wanking. <laughs> Guys, don't forget to self-care, all right? No. Daylight, and he's just sitting there with his back kind of to them, looking over his shoulder, going, Don't look at me! There's no shame in a wank. We all do it. We all do it. <laughs> Remember to self care. <laughs> do you guys want me to lead a meditation or you want to just do it yourself? Okay, you let me know. So, Chase's men had the talk. They. Killed Isaac Cole when he died, and as more men they killed him when he died. <laughs> Sorry, they ate him when he they ate him when he died. Sorry, you're double dead now, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Try coming back from this. <laughs> Slapping him across the face. <laughs> 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 huh? 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 What if he was just really asleep and they started eating him? He'd been yeah. a real prick in real life. I think if you are about to eat a friend of yours, I'd make sure of double it. I'd double kill. Slap him. him a few times. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, you can't kill someone with a slap you got to stab him. I'm slapping him like 400 times. Oh, uh, no. Nah. Just to be sure. <laughs> face or bum? Both. Good. All right, you do the bum, I'll do the face this time. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be a better way. You get up to 300 and something, they're like, hey, what, what's going on? Lucky <laughs> I check. Like in a boxing count? Yeah. All right, if he doesn't get up in 400. We're doing a 400 you? count. As other men died on Chase's boat, they began to feast. The rations of human flesh did not last long, and the more survivors they ate, the hungrier they felt. Yeah. Ah, right. I guess it's like starvation. You haven't eaten in three weeks or whatever, and then you're like, oh, I had a bit of mat. Got a bit of a taste for this. Mine a bit of Jess as well. Yeah. Then you'd just be like waiting. You'd be hoping someone would die or worse. Well. Yep. Back on. Double die. Well, back on Captain Pollard's boat, the four surviving men realised that without more food, they would all die. On February 6, 1821, nine weeks after leaving the Essex, one of the sailors, teenager Charles Ramsdell, bravely proposed what no one else was brave enough to say. He suggested that they draw lots to determine who should be eaten next. 
Again, this sounds so brutal that apparently this was a custom of the sea dating back to the first half of the 17th century. The sea's a bit fucked, isn't it? Mm. Really. It's got its own laws out there. And when I say who would be eaten next, I mean who they would kill yeah. and then eat next. Yeah, interesting that they've stopped the waiting game. Was everyone equally healthy at this yeah, stage? Think- well, now they've all eaten. They've right. all eaten. I think it's been like probably like, you know, 10 days have gone past or something. And they're like, Jesus, we're all. No Feels like, yeah, you, you want it to be just natural. Yeah, but like, I think it's gotten to a point, you're right, that they're all equal. And it's like, well, we're all going to die now or right. we'll have to take some Also, home. if you wait till someone dies, they're less nutritious than yeah. they would have been. And I suppose you've left it so long that you might just die as well. Oh, my God. We're so, thinking about this too much. So you want to kill them in a way that, you know, you don't want to spook them. Because then their meat gets all crunched up. <laughs> so you want to make sure They're that you kill. Yeah, oh my god! You tell them to wank and then you shoot them in the back yeah. of the head. So yeah. and you want to feed them wealth. with you want to feed them with only grain. Yeah, so yeah. their liver's nice and tasty yeah. and free range. Brain fed. <laughs> the men accepted the proposal and they no. all drew papers, one of which had a black mark on it. There was I love four that of they them. had a pen with them. <laughs> Eat the pen, is that what you're saying? No, you can't, you can't keep a fucking boat afloat. Eat the you got a pen. pen. <laughs> the fu- Guys. You got paper. Yeah. Eat the paper. Charles Ramsdale suggested bravely what no one else is brave enough to say. Should we eat this fucking pen? <laughs> yeah. Smart. What are Guess about? who drew the black mark. Oh, my God. Is it the captain? No. Coffin. Oh, my God. It's Coffin. Owen Coffin. Coffin boy. The captain's first cousin that he pra- had promised to protect drew the spot. Upon seeing who drawn the spot, the captain shouted, My lad, my lad, if you don't like your lot, I'll shoot the first man that touches you. Huh. Pollard even offered to step in for the boy. Wow. Said, kill me instead of him. So I think we sort of, I mean, if you believe his word, he kind of, I mean, <laughs> the, the, the I one who would I potentially offer then, a different version of events. And then he said, wow, that's the biggest dick I've ever seen. <laughs> You're a real hero, uncle. Pollard. Yeah, I, I surely don't want you to stand in my place for you have the biggest dick. <laughs> we must protect such it specimen. Was, and uh, of course it would be a feast for all the men on the ship. <laughs> we could live in your dick alone for weeks. <laughs> but it would be such a loss to all humanity <laughs> that you must live on. You must live on for your dick must be seen. <laughs> to be believed. <laughs> oh my God, I mean, I, I couldn't even sketch it. <laughs> With this pen that we should eat. <laughs> so he, he even offered to step in for the boy, but apparently Coffin would have none of it. Quote, I like it as well as any other, he said. They then drew lots to decide who should shoot Coffin. Fuck. One in three chance now. And his friend... Coffin drew it as well. He's going <laughs> to shoot himself. He's like, oh, fucking hell, God. I've got to do everything. <laughs> Who's going to cook me? Do, I, do you want me to fucking cook Oh, i got to cook myself, do I? Oh. Fine. His friend Ramsdale was selected. No. Which is so brutal. Another young guy. I feel like, surely just do it yourself. You're not going to have to worry about the consequences. You're Mm. about to be dead. But also they're they're Christian, you were saying, and suicide is a sin. Is it murder as well? Probably not Not in these circumstances. Because I think it's like, well, it's kind of suicide if you donate him. Right. Wow. Good loophole. You'll all die. Um, Ramsdale... Hesitated a lot, but then his friend bravely lay down on the edge of the ship and they shot him. Well, he shot him. And the remaining three ate him, which is so effed up. Remember, he promised the cousin that he would look after the boy. 
Mm. And now he's eating him. Well, in a way, he's looking after him. Give you a beautiful home. Right in my belly. Where are these guys from again? Nantucket. Nantucket. I'm doing the Nantucket accent. Right near, right near old Tama Tama. That was one of their local words for stomach. Uh, also there, they they pronounce the CH in stomach. Thanks for clarifying. No Over on Chase's boat, they were down to three survivors, including the young cabin boy, Thomas Nickerson, who had all but given up and lay down in the ship waiting to die. The others tried to talk him out of it and say, oh, we're going to get rescued, we're going to get rescued, but he had none of it, basically. He lay down and refused to get up. They thought he was, you know, days away from dying. This was until one of the men spotted a sail in the distance. It was an English ship called the Indian. They had to chase it down for hours, hoping desperately to be spotted. And they were. They were rescued after 89 days at what? sea. What? Three of them survived. Is this, sorry, is this on Ch- Owen Chase's Owen boat? Owen Chase's boat. Fuck, he doesn't deserve yeah, to be Yeah, the saved. guy that was sort of making all the wrong decisions. But cabin boy Thomas Nickerson survived. Ah. He lay down waiting to die. And they, they thought that it, if it had been another day, he probably would have just gone. Wow. How do you do you know how what he did with his life? I will I will tell you later on. Awesome. But by now, three hundred miles away, Pollard's boat carried only Pollard himself and a sailor named Charles Ramsdale. Twelve days earlier, crewman Barzillai Ray, amazing name, had died, and they hadn't eaten since. So there's two of them left. Shit. The two famished men cracked open the remaining bones of their shipmates. Then began eating the marrow inside. (laughs) It's real yuck. They were so weak they could barely lift their heads and were drifting in and out of consciousness. I know that's a thing people do. Don't at me, but I that's I don't like that. What eat eat human marrow? Neither do I. Not human. Don't at me. You human marrow. The human marrow society. Not human, not a human, but they'll eat the marrow out of bone, animal bones and stuff. And I'm not I... a big fan of that either. It freaks, uh, makes me feel, yeah. I never really, I don't really get the drawing the line. It's like, if you eat some of it, just eat it all. Well, that's what they're doing. So they, they've got all these bones and they're just cracking them open and sucking out the remaining, whatever's left. They were also, by this point, drifting in and out of madness, obsessing over the remaining bones. Phil Brick, the author that wrote the... In the heart of the sea writes, quote, they stuffed their pockets with finger bones. They sucked the sweet marrow from the splintered ribs and Phalanges. the thigh bones. Is it sweet? Yeah, sweet. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Then suddenly they heard a sound, men shouting and then silence as shadows fell across them. And then the rustle of wind in sails and the creaking of spars and rigging. They looked up and there were faces, end quote. Crewmen aboard the American ship called the Dauphin had spotted Pollard's boat. But by this point, delirious and confused, Pollard and Ramsdale did not rejoice at being rescued, but simply turned to the bottom of their boat and stuffed more bones into their pockets. Basically, they'd gone absolutely insane. No. Safely aboard the Dauphin, the two delirious men were, quote, seen sucking the bones of their dead messmates, which they were loath to part with. So they didn't want to give up the bones. They had absolutely lost, lost the plot. For a time. It's like, we've got some food here. You want it? Okay, I know your tricks. Yeah, you so just want me bones. <laughs> you want me finger bones. Uh, despite his madness on board the boat, Pollard recovered fast, 
and ate dinner with the captain of the ship that had rescued him, as well as the captain of another sh- whale ship from New York that happened to be in the area. They were like, you got to come on board and listen to this guy's story. Pollard was desperate to tell them his story in great detail. One of the captains wrote down everything that he said after the dinner and described it as, quote, the most distressing narrative that ever came to my knowledge. Wow. The five survivors from Pollard and Chase's boats were reunited in Chile and after recuperating went back to Nantucket Island together. And as for the three men that stayed on Henderson Island, remember they left three men there? Yeah. Well, they survived for nearly four months living on crabs, birds' eggs and berries and were eventually rescued by an Australian ship. Yay! The spirit of Tasmania. Yeah, it finally came through. <laughs> so they, they, they actually made the... Oh, the, g'day, Cobber. Hey, girl, mate. They, they didn't have to eat each other. They had a much better time. Yeah. And they had Vegemite they on were, board. They were living on a... Par- on, on, you know... Paradise, basically. Yeah, berries. Well, if you tell me berries and crabs and birds, I'm in. I think the thing is, if twenty one of twenty, if twenty men yeah. had saved, right. they wouldn't have had enough. But three were like, "Hey, I found some. I found a stash. Don't tell the others." Yeah. No, I'll stay here and die. Don't worry about it. Can't yeah. get back on the boat. Uh, all in all, twelve of the original twenty one men never made it home. Many of their bodies eaten at sea by whales. <laughs> yeah. Calm as a bitch. Wow. Upon returning to their Quaker community, what they had done to survive was widely known but forgiven as necessary for survival. So it wasn't seen as a sin. However, Pollard had to face Nancy Bunker Coffin, the cousin whose son he had promised to care for. She never forgave him for eating her son. I imagine that would be hard to forgive. (laughs) I I reckon she's a stuck-up bitch. (laughs) It's the sea, Nancy. Was it Nancy? Yeah. Come on, Nancy. He ate her son, Jess. <laughs> yeah, but his dick had to be seen. Oh, and do you know how sweet his marrow was? It was so, so sweet. Please stop telling me that. <laughs> I know. The sweetest marrow of all came from your son, so. Please, I don't need to know that. Please stop telling me that. <laughs> we ate all of it. Accent is really hard to tie down. <laughs> You're doing very well, though. Please. Yeah. Please, my name is Nancy, and I just don't want to. I just don't want to keep hearing about the marrow. Now tell me one more time. What, tell me about my boy. What was his last words? Ow. Ow. Why'd you shoot me in the foot? It's <laughs> oh, a bad shot. Uh, Captain Pollard did return to the sea. Oh, no. Retire. Guess how long. When you the... say the sea, do you mean the cockswallop? <laughs> no, no. He went sailing out in search of whales. Guess how long before he went back out? Two Ten, weeks. Two years. Uh, in between three months, he was home for three months after that ordeal, which is the same length that he was lost at sea for. He's batshit. I think he's still mad. Well, he captained another ship called the Two Brothers. I'm not getting on his fucking boat. It was actually the whale ship that had brought him home from South America, and they were like, "Oh, you can captain this." Yeah, this one was lucky. This young- one was really lucky. <laughs> well, young cabin boy Thomas Nickerson and Charles Ramsdell, the man he'd eaten bones with, chose to sail with him on the ship again. Huh. They went back to sea with him. The two brothers also sank. <laughs> this time off the coast of Hawaii. No one died in this incident. However, this was the end of his sailing career. Yeah, I Good. Reckon. From here on, he was considered by many as a, quote, Jonah which is what you call an unlucky person on the sea, and no ship owner would trust him again to sail, so he was forced to retire. In the Bible, Jonah is swallowed by a large fish or a whale. Ah. There you go. 
So his sailing career was over by the time he was 30. He spent the rest of his years as a night watchman on Nantucket. Cricket. So there are other jobs. That's right. He was sent into bat. <laughs> and what a brave what a brave innings he put. He blocked all night. <laughs> Jess, you get that cricket joke? Yes. I so, never I, I genuinely the only I've only ever heard night watchman used as a cricket term. Oh right. He was a, like a like a caretaker. He would, you know, go around with a with a torch at night you know, to like, make sure nothing dodgy was happening. Night right. at the museum, you know? Right. Yeah, a bit like he was on night shift for the rest of his life, basically. Right. He's still in it. Chuck the Jonah on the night shift. <laughs> Owen Chase, our man that Ugh. probably fucked it all up. I hope something bad happens to him. He wrote a tell-all book a year later and pissed off the Quaker community because they didn't want the story to get out there. Right. This is the memoir that you remember right at the start that Herman Melville read and inspired him to write Moby right. Dick. Oh. Chase went back to whaling as well. All five of those men... That you know had to eat their friends. They all eventually went back to whaling in They're one way or another. Insane. But the horror of Chase's early twenties caught up with him when he grew older, and he started compulsively hoarding food in his attic. He was later declared insane and died in 1869, which Ooh. I think we can all agree is a very good. It's a very good. Oh, year. nice. 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 But I wanted him. I wanted something really bad to happen to him. That sounds awful. He went mad many, many decades later. Guess, I'm no. guessing he. I mean, I want him to like go on a book tour and get hit by a bus. Right. right. I think he just had like more of a slow post-traumatic stress time. Yeah, it just sounds like. Which I'm not wishing upon anyone. It feels like yeah, that kind of thing. It feels like no one's coming back. I hope he's lonely, unmarried, and impotent. I don't know why. I think he's dead now, Jess. Oh yeah, he, he is dead is now. Eighteen sixty-nine. Nice. 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 Uh, Thomas Dickerson, the cabin boy, you asked what happened to him. He worked his way up on ships throughout his life and became a captain himself. Ah. So things worked out for him. In 1960, after almost a century lost in an attic, his uh, a manuscript that he'd written detailing the event was found and brought new perspective to the story. Wow. So before he died, uh, an author had actually suggested to him, that's a crazy story, you should write down your, your perspective. Yeah. And, he, and he wrote it. He sent it to the author. The author got sidetracked with something else and it just got locked in an attic, yeah, for nearly 100 years before someone found it and read it and went, oh. And they told uh, like a maritime museum in Nantucket and it was published in the 80s. Wow. And did it, oh, I mean, you've probably used some of that in this. um, Yeah, so it became a new great source on this because we had Owen Chase's diary and then we had Thomas Nickerson's account of it. I bet Owen Chase's was a lot of, yeah, and then I bloody nailed it again. Well, he actually, it's funny, in his diary, which I think was pretty honest, but he actually left out the part where he had the opportunity to stab the whale. Right. He didn't write that in. Other people told that part of the story. Like, yeah, I was with him. That guy, he got stabbed the the whale and none of this would happen. He, of course, did not mention that. Interesting. And as for Herman Melville and Moby Dick, he was very much inspired by this harrowing story. And now Moby Dick is seen as one of the greatest novels of all time, but sadly it was very much overlooked in his lifetime. By the time of the author's death in 1891, it had only sold about 3,000 copies in his lifetime, and he never knew of its success. Interest in Melville as an author didn't start again until the centenary of his birth in 1919, and throughout the 20th century, many of his works have now been uh, praised as classics. Hmm. Uh, Geraldine Goes to the Shops. Yeah. Classic. Not an instant classic, but... No. Oh, it's a thinker. It's a real thinker. Yeah. Because why is she going to the shops? Yeah. It's a metaphor. She's already got everything she needs. But does she? Mm. 
The Nathaniel Philbrick book I mentioned and drew from earlier was adapted in 2015 into a film of the same name, In the Heart of the Sea. It was directed by Ron Howard and starred our very own Chris Hemsworth. Huh. I personally hadn't heard of it. No. I've heard of that. And what? Yeah. So that's about... It's about this story. Is it? A, a sort of a fictionalised account. That, you know, they, he goes and speaks to Herman Melville. I haven't seen it, but Ron Howard and Chris Hemsworth worked great together in the film Rush. Love that film. So I think I'll check it out. Hmm. Hmm. And finally, as for why this happened in the first place, remember in the history of the whaling company, a sperm whale had never attacked the ship. People were wondering why it happened. It is believed by some that sperm sperm whales may use clicking signals to communicate up to five miles away. And people have, when they've listened to it, it actually sounds a bit like a hammer being hit. Right. Leading to it to be nicknamed the carpenter whale because of the noises they make. People speculate that hammering on the Essex by Owen Chase to repair his whale boat may have been picked up by the male whale. And remember, they're in breeding time. The male whale may have thought the Essex was another giant whale invading his territory. Right. And that's why he had to he attack. Because he's a giant whale. It was a similar size to him as well. That makes sense. So maybe he heard the clicking and that's why he was hell-bent on killing what he thought was another whale. Trying yeah, to get that, it on his ladies. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. But yeah, and I'm somewhat of a whaleologist. And that is the story of the Essex. That is a wild story. What an epic! What an and that was the that was the offshoot of the story I was researching. Amazing. That was wild. That's what you know. I read it and I was like, uh, okay, I've got to talk about this. Yeah, that's amazing. Absolutely, absolutely amazing. And, I've, uh, and I'll link to some articles uh, below that I that I got hooked on. There's one in Vanity Fair from the year 2000 by Nathaniel Philbrook, who went on to write that book, and one on the Smithsonian website that. Uh, and also a documentary that I'll link to. Fantastic. Fantastic stuff. It's it's a little bit um, uh, like one of your other ship epics. Yes, but sadly, unlike Shackleton, where they all survived. Yeah, they... this one was way more brutal. Woo! Really brutal. But it makes you think, would you would you eat people to stay alive? And I, I imagine that, like you said, in that situation, something clicks over and you just... You start putting you either get people's busy, fingers in your pockets. Get busy living or get busy dying, am I right? Yeah. Get busy eating your friends. Or get busy dying. Or get busy being eaten by your friends. Yeah, I know. Wow. I'd like to think you'd, I'd sacrifice myself, but there's not much meat on these bones. Yeah, that's a great defense. But Guys, also maybe one of the reasons why you'll die one of the first times. I've also been told that my marrow tastes terrible, so please. Oh, yeah, mine too. Uh, someone said, ugh, yuck. That was one review. Well, if one of us had to get eaten, shotgun nut. Oh, shotgun not. It would be me. It would obviously be me. Why is that? I got the most meat on my bones. Oh, okay. And claim that title, all right? My marrow's very sweet because I'm a little cutie pie. (laughs) Got a cutie pie marrow. That's true. It's very sweet. That's true. But that does bring us to the end of the report. And in true Dugawan style, we're going to finish with our fact quota question, Matt. Uh, What a great time. I mean, what a great report. I reckon that's, that's. I've never heard anything about that. And I really don't know much about Moby Dick either. It just seems boring. Uh, but Yeah, <laughs> it does. It's like, oh, but then you tell this story and like, oh, it obviously is not going to be a boring story. All I know about Moby Dick is that it's a metaphor. Yeah. I'm not sure what for. The white whale's a metaphor. We're all chasing it. We're all chasing it. We're all chasing something. It's my white whale, they say. Yeah. Are yeah. you like, what? I think it's heroin. Oh. Is that right, Dave? <laughs> We're all chasing heroin. Yeah. Uh, so this week's 
uh, fact quote or question in our segment fact quote or question comes from Patreon or Patreon. Do we know what do we call them? Patreons or patrons? Patron. Patron from Through Patreon. Patreon. Yep. Uh, is Noah Hilvati. Sorry about the pronunciation here. An H into an L, and I don't know how to say it. Hel- Hilvati. Yep. Uh, thank you so much, Noah, for your support on Patreon. You can get on to Patreon at patreon.com slash dogoonpod. Uh, and with the fact quote a question, you also get to give yourself your own title. And Noah's given himself the title of Senior Advisor to Podcast. I love oh, the efficiency of that title. I love it. Senior. Yeah. Like he's worked his way up. I think he has too. He's, he's, on, he's on the hard yards. Yeah. And he's given us a question slash fact. And it is this. So I'll, I'll ask the question and then give the fact if you two don't know it. Okay. Where in the world is there a nearly eight-month-long lightning storm? Iceland. Nope. Norway. Is that a trick question? Like the moon? No, it's not. It's a looks. It's, it's the like ocean. a real place. Am I close? Uh, yeah, I think most. Yeah, it's. Cl- I, I imagine it's close to the ocean, but it's on land. Damn it! I think. I'm not sure. I've never heard of this. I don't know why. Catatumbo, Venezuela. Oh. Uh, off the coast of Venezuela. Oh, Jess was right. Off the coast of Venezuela, yes. the everlasting storm rages for nearly 260 days per year, with over 1.3 million lightning strikes a year, or nearly 250 per hour. Interesting factoid. That is terrifying. <laughs> what a place to avoid. Yeah, but imagine being near it so you could see it. I'm not going there on a holiday, though. I just want to sit on the beach in the sunshine, you know? Yeah, but imagine doing that and then in the background, yeah, just non-stop be lightning. That's cool. That'd be sick. It's like in the Hunger Games in the second one where they can control different parts of the island. It's like yeah. that. Like you could sit up on the ridge and watch like a lightning storm over there but not be in it. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and you shoot arrows and stuff. Shoot arrows and your name's Cat Piss. Cat Nips. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, th- th- so thank you so much, Noah, you bloody star. And uh, another part of our Patreon segment at the end of the show, we thank a few of our fantastic patrons. And just we normally have a little game and you give us a little game based on the uh, topic. That can we, we name their ship? I think we can, Dave. Right. I mean, that's better than going with cannibalism yeah. or anything like uh, that. Yeah. How, how quickly would, would you, you die? Would you eat them? Would you eat this person? Ooh. No, let's go with the ship. First off, safer. I, it is safer. I mean, but the ship could go down. But it's a lucky ship. They're all lucky ships in in the truest sense of the word where they don't sink. Uh, I'd love to thank from Bothell in the United States of America, Mr. Jonathan Bragg. Jonathan Bragg. It's a good name. It's a great name. Uh, ship is the... Destiny. Ship is the destiny. Okay. Jonathan Bragg. Yeah, I was thinking like some sort of cocky thing, but I like that. Destiny. And do they have a smaller boat called Destiny's Child? Yes. No. (laughs) Okay. Great or disagree. What I mean, uh, mean, uh, pretty good. Sorry about that, Jonathan. Allowed to have a small boat on your big boat. I'm sorry that you can't have everything. I just gave you a boat. Yeah, Jonathan, honestly, just just gave you a boat. Can he have a small submarine called Destiny's Child? Yes. Yes. Thank you. I should have said no. No. Yes. 
Oh, oh, oh. mum and dad can't agree again. <laughs> oh, God, it's on a submarine. Thank you so much, Jonathan. I'd also love to thank, from Nagoya in Japan, Ashley James. How Ashley exotic. James. Thank you so much for your support, Ashley James. And I think your boat would be called the Spearmint Elefante. Oh, my God, I love it. Oh, wow. Also, Spearmint, yum. Yeah, yum. And I think, because the Spearmint Rhino, I think, is a strip club yep. franchise. So I don't know what the Spearmint Elefante is, but I think it oh, sounds Indian wow. restaurant. majestic. It sounds like a classier strip club than the Rhino. Yeah. Ah, I see. Yeah. It's like they respect the girls there. Right. Mm. Um, but thank you, Ashley. The Spearmint Can I thank Elefante. some people? Elefante. It is fun to say. Yeah. Can I thank some people yes, as well? Yes, please. I would love to thank from London, where we just were. A few months ago. God, it feels like it was... Only a few months ago. Yeah. Now. Can't wait to get back. I'd like to thank Luke McKernan. Oh, Kern. The... McKernan. Great uh, North Melbourne Ruckman was named McKernan. Corey oh. McKernan. What if the Ruckman's a good name for a ship? The Ruckman. Oh, yeah, good one. The like Ruckman. It. I like the that. The Ruckman. And Sounds like it's not going to go down, which is means it probably will go down. Yeah, it's Sorry not lucky. to say. Um, So thank you to Luke, and I'd also like to thank from Garland in Texas. Ah, fantastic. John R. Mays. (laughs) Is that a name? John R. Mays. Is it supposed to be John R. Mays? I mean, that is. If your parents... Amazing. Oh, I see. Did you do that, John? That's... Is this real? Your parents... Is this reality? Are we being punked? Are you going to set fire to our island? Don't. We live on a very big island. So what's the ship called? The SS Punk. Oh. The SS Punk. SS I like punk, it. SS Punk, yeah. Punked or punk? What does SS stand for again? Oh, sailing ship? Salty. salty. Yeah, sailing <laughs> ship makes more sense, doesn't it? It's probably not that. I reckon I do know that. Well, you don't because you can't answer <laughs> it right now. I reckon I do. No, I can, we can hear you Googling. <laughs> I reckon. Dave, you've been disqualified. You would have yeah, got I mean, steamship. Oh, I did not know that. Steamship. Steampunk. Yeah, steampunked. The SS Steampunk. Steamship punked. Dave, That's would you cool. like to thank some people? Oh, I'd love to punk some people. Thanks so much, John Armes. You I'm are gonna, amazing. I'm going to punk a few people now. Okay. I'd like to thank from Waterlooville in England. Waterloo! I'd like to thank Sam Gain. Gain. Leg Day. The, the mighty leg day. <laughs> Gain, gain's a weight, ga- like weight gain. Oh, the dumbbell. Ooh, I like that. Oh, okay. Sounds a bit sinky. Nah. <laughs> yeah, down down like All a dumbbell. Right, fuck, I gotta go. Nah, it's good. No, it's fine. No, you I think, think of something better then. Um, float bell. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's perfect. I love it. Wait, what did you bet your water, Waterloo? There's Napoleon there. Abba. Abba. Oh, the Abba. The Frida. The Abba Is one of them Frida? Did I fuck that up? No, you did, yeah. You got Patty and Selma. No, you got <laughs> you got Fred, Wilma. Wait, what are we talking about? Members of Abba. <laughs> <laughs> You've got Sigrid, what? Thornton. What? <laughs> Wait, are we talking Stop! about Sea Change? I think the Abba. I can only think of Benny and Bjorn. Uh, we've got Agnetha. Ah, oh, beautiful name. And Annie Fred. What? Annie Fred. You're thinking there's an F in there. I'll pay it. Annie Fred. Beautiful. Two beautiful names. Ag- 
Just name <laughs> the, the fucking who, boat. All right, I reckon that it should Ab- be Abba. it should be the Agatha, Bjorn, Benny, and Annafred. Okay. And then Abba fans would get it, but other people would be like, "What's that mean?" Yeah, I love a niche joke. Yeah. Huh? Sam Gain, I know you're a big Abba fan, so we did that for you. You're welcome. Sam Gain, great name. Thanks for your support. Appreciate everything you do for us. And I'd also like to thank from Dublin in Ireland, mm. Siobhan Lavelle. Oh, oh, that is great. Lavelle is a beautiful last name. Jess's favourite town in the world. Correct. You got a name? The Riverdance. Oh. oh, captained by Mr. Flatley himself. No, God no. No, captained by Siobhan. Siobhan, of all people. Knows how great Riverdance is. Gosh, and I, I meant to say it. driven by. Driven. First mate. Yeah. Whoever, on who's on the wheel? Flatly. He's tapping away. Tip it a tap. 96 taps per second somehow. Somehow. Don't get it. What a guy. What, what a guy. guy. What a man. What a man. What a mighty good man. <laughs> is that Sultan Pepper? <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Siobhan Lavelle, Sam Gain, John Amaze, Luke McKernan, Ashley James, Jonathan Bragg, Beautiful bunch. You are the class of episode 170. Thank you. Well done. Good for you. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. That does bring us to the end of the episode. We should say we've got things coming up if you want to come to see us live. We're in Adelaide and we're in Melbourne and we've got other dates that we'll probably be announcing shortly. Uh, And you can find out more about that and everything else at dogoonpod.com. You can find out about my tour uh, through Perth, Brisbane. Adelaide and Melbourne at mattstuartcomedy.com slash gigs. And if you use the discount code, do go on to get a discount. And anything else you should say, uh, Dave's Book Cheap podcast is going bloody great guns. Check it out if you love books. If check you like it books out. Like, or if you don't want to read the book, check it uh, out. Even more so. And I do a podcast called Primates. It's all about primates and popular culture. It's just a fun, good fun time with funny people from around the place coming in to chat about nonsense-ish things, but also primates. <laughs> And we have a bit of fun. Thanks so much for joining us again. What an epic episode this has been. Dave, thanks so much for the report. Jess, any final words? Banana. That's a beautiful one. Thank you so much. And uh, as we always say here on the podcast, laters. Goodbye. Bye. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bolin Branch Sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch Sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get even softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order with code RESTful15. So head to B-O-L-L-N-Branch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details.